Hey everybody, welcome to the 2021 Roundup episode of 24-Hour Video. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Jason Green. everybody welcome to 2022 it's a new year and i know everyone thinks of this as a new beginning a new start people make resolutions they talk about a year being particularly good or particularly bad um, but i think my listeners all know that it makes no sense to be mad at a year or happy at a year because time is an illusion it means nothing and our misery is directly related to the icy grip of capitalism around our throats. Until that changes, it won't matter what year it is. <laughs> welcome to <laughs> welcome to the 2021 year-end roundup episode of 24-Hour Video. <laughs> We're doing things a little differently this time. Um, what I did was I, I got a few of our guests that you have maybe listened to the previous episodes of and loved uh, or not loved. I don't know. Uh, and uh, I had them talk about five great things that they've seen this past year. Now, you're going to hear me say this over and over again with every guest. There is no order to these lists. There's it's it doesn't matter if it's new or if it's old. Does, didn't have to come out in 2021. Just things that are new to you this year that you saw that you really liked. I hate lists. I hate ranking things. I hate ranking art, ultimately, is what I'm saying. I, I think there's when someone puts out a list of the greatest Fellini films, ten the top ten great, yeah, makes me want to uh, jump off a bridge. There's no way to rate this stuff. It's also personal. It's also subjective. Uh, you should enjoy the things you enjoy. And you should never let anyone tell you that they're bad. Because if it brings you pleasure, it has value. Okay? That's what I'm talking about here, folks. So we're going to start with our very first guest, Sam Lipsight, esteemed author. Uh, his new novel, Hark, is available everywhere in all formats. He has 
many other novels and short story collections, and I recommend them all. Uh, you'll find that he also contributes to The New Yorker, and uh, he's written some stuff for Criterion, um, and he's just an all-around great, funny, smart wealth of knowledge. So we're happy to have him back. And we have Jesse Pearson, the creator of Apology Magazine and the creator of the Apology Podcast, which is probably the only other podcast that I really listen to religiously and uh, basically have modeled my own show after his. So if you like this format, but you like books, you should listen to Apology Podcast. And next up is Noah Reed, who most of you know him from Schitt's Creek. Uh, but he's a man of many talents. He has an album that's out and available on Spotify that I recommend you listen to. He's going to be on Broadway here in New York City very soon. In March, I believe it starts. And uh, he couldn't be more fun to talk to. And then finally, I wanted to talk about my favorite five things I saw this year. And I didn't want to just scream it into a void. So I have... My wonderfully talented friend, uh, Aaron Harris, who is a voice actor and comedian. Uh, we did a long-running comedy show together in Brooklyn, um, and he is wonderful and has been going on a sort of film journey this past year, or years, like since the pandemic started. He's really been uh, discovering a lot of stuff, so it's been fun. So we're going to talk about the things that we loved that we saw this year together at the end and thanks for tuning in and thanks for all your support. And, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's pretty fun. It's going to have a lot of junk in it. So, you know, get your fucking pencil ready. <laughs> all right. Enjoy this episode of 24 hour video. 24 hour video. <laughs> So I'm here with Sam Lipsight, my first guest and my first love. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Jason. I, <laughs> I, I think of you as one of my one of my first loves. Oh, that's great. Well, um, that's all I can hope for, really. Just <laughs> in the top twenty, I'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, five things you saw this year that you loved. New or old doesn't have to be in any order. Um, what's number one? I, well, when, the minute you say number one, it sounds like I know. I know. That's order, right. Okay, so. what's the first one? Yeah, even just even saying it that way, like, you could say what's one of them? What's one of them? Okay, what's one of them? <laughs> even that feels like a lot of pressure. I, you know, I don't know. I can't. I'm having a hard time. It's all a blur, Jason. It really I know, is. I you know. know that, right? Of course. I don't know when things came out, uh, you know, was it streaming? Was it in the theater? Was it made in 1943? I have no fucking idea. At this <laughs> no. point. But, um, I, 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 this, uh, I'm doing it as well. <laughs> and I had a, I struggled to remember what things I saw this year. If it wasn't like, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it's very, it's very tough. I, I mean, I kind of went, there was a little bit of a, a detour I took at a certain point when I got interested in this. Uh, I, I rewatched a movie I've always loved, Night Moves. You know that film, I'm sure. Absolutely love that film, yeah. 
and it was written by this guy named Alan Sharp. Uh-huh. And I became interested. I just started wondering. I, I never really thought about the the screenwriter before. It's an Arthur Penn movie, right? But uh, yeah, it's Arthur Penn. Yeah. Um, I, I did some research on Alan Sharp, and he seemed like an interesting figure. He uh, and he wrote a couple of couple of films in the seventies. I think you know there was a line in that I hadn't really noticed before in uh, Night Moves, where uh, the, I think the film producer is talking about this Randy stuntman and says. Uh, you know, he'd fuck a wood pile if he was sure there was a snake in it. <laughs> and, <laughs> Very good. And I thought, and I thought, who wrote that line? You know, so that that led me to Alan Sharp, who I think was a Scottish writer, um, and he wrote Night Moves. And so then I found this, and he also wrote The Osterman Weekend. If you remember that? Oh yeah. Late. Yeah. It's a late. It's a late. It's a late Peck and Paw. But um. And he wrote a couple of other films, some westerns, uh, and he wrote this. And then the this so the movie I'm going to mention is a very strange movie that I've never seen called The Last Run, starring George C. Scott as a uh, sort of retired uh, criminal getaway driver sort of guy who uh, who's kind of living in a fishing village in Portugal and uh, trying to live a quiet life and. Occasionally sleeping with uh, the, the local prostitute, and probably played by his real life wife, Colleen Dewhurst. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, who then has to, you know, of course, get called back into one last job that uh, that goes horribly awry. Um, he has to drive a, a a hitman that's part of the syndicate that he used to be part of, uh, you know, across country to get him to safety in it. And he's sort of the old, it's kind of a, a conflict of generations. The the hitman's like a kind of young spry guy and George C. Scott's just an old guy with his old moves, but uh, they rub each other the wrong way. And there's a, I think there's, he's also driving a woman, uh, girlfriend of the, uh, of the hitman. Anyway, it's a very strange movie and it's got really odd rhythms and, but there are some great sequences of George C. Scott driving and he's, you know, always kind of walking around in Portugal with these strange leathers, leather gloves and his jacket. And uh, there's some great kind of uh, uh, sequences of him testing out his, his, the car that he's going to use in this, in this big last run. And um, I quite enjoyed it. And it was a, you know, an unexpected, an unexpected treat. This is uh, may or may not be surprising to you, but this is a favorite film of mine. I love the last run. Uh, oh, you do know it, yeah. I know it because so when I worked at the video store back in the day, I think it was I, I think it was Warner Brothers. I can't remember who it was, but they were doing this thing where they were releasing films that have never been released before, like per order essentially they're burning dvds so we were getting these movies that had kind of never had a proper release directly from warner brothers and they would do the sort of one-offs it'd be like kind of a crappy little photocopy cover and they'd send it to you and the last run was one of these films and i absolutely loved it uh the director is this guy richard fleischer who i think is like most famous for doing soylent green he did red sonia right yeah, that's right. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So like it was kind of like, and this one is definitely the most, I think the most interesting film that he made. 
Um, and one of my picks that I'm going to be doing is another one from the same release. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a uh, Oliver Reed film called the sitting target. Um, and it's a, wow. yeah, I, I, Who I, absolutely, I don't know, actually, let me look. I have my, my MDB. Up. Well, I'm, 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 I'm delighted that you love the last run. Cause I, I, I wondered if maybe I, I didn't, you know, I'd fallen off the edge of, of taste or something, but I, no, you know, <laughs> no, you know and it's the thing that I didn't make the connection though, is I didn't realize that it was the same uh, writer who wrote night moves. Um, yeah. Which I also is like such a big favorite. So the guy who did sitting target, his name is Douglas Hickox. I don't know if he's okay. done much else. Um, yeah. So night moves was always my favorite line from night moves was when he talks about uh, uh, Gene Hackman mentions that he saw, an Eric Romer film once, and it was like watching paint dry. Do you remember that? Yeah, that, yeah, I do remember that. Yes, that was clearly coming from the screenwriter. You could tell. <laughs> well, you know. I guess apparently <laughs> it's based on a book that he wrote, and in the book he says Claude Chabrol. But they, I guess, they thought for the oh, film, really? They changed yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so I don't know. The, I was reading about this this screenwriter Alan Sharp, and you know, the people his contemporaries kind of considered him this major talent they felt he sort of squandered it a bit um but uh could have done more but he did he did write write some interesting movies and uh i guess that was a time when you could uh you could do that as well well i mean he he also directed a film as well i don't know if you know that little treasure do you know that no movie? i've not no. seen it but it's um it's not particularly well regarded but it's ted danson and margot kidder Burt Lancaster from uh, the '80s. I think it's like early. So 80s. yeah, that was that was that was yeah. I mean, he's probably already on the on the decline when he was. Yeah, I mean, I I I'd be curious to see it, but I. Um... Well, there's another one. There is one. There is another. His, the one he considered his best, I think, is a, a Burt Lancaster film a western Ozana's raid i think it's called oh yeah Ozana's raid yeah that's a great film yeah 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 that is a great film that he wrote that as well that's uh, so robert aldrich directed yeah yeah so alan sharp had a, just a nice run of some really strong screenplays is all i'm trying to say so where did you see it the last run yeah uh i believe criterion but i can't be sure oh, okay that's great I, I I definitely it was either Criterion or just you know I rented it streaming it you know on Prime iTunes or something. okay yeah. it definitely wasn't Prime it was more like iTunes or something but um because that's where I actually found this other film that I just watched the other night um I I was uh, staying in this house a couple weeks ago that over Thanksgiving and uh, there was nothing I had nothing to read and I went to the bookshelves and there was nothing there except this old this old late Graham Greene novel called The Human Factor. Oh, yeah. And I pulled it off the shelf and read it. And then I hadn't realized it was also an Otto Preminger film from like 1979. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just watched that the other night, which I got off of iTunes. Um, and uh, it was a strange stilted movie. It was, I mean, it was, you know, very late Otto Preminger, I guess. Um, and it's him kind of trying to figure out how to make a 70s movie in 1979 <laughs> and 
<laughs> but with some great, great actors like uh, Nicole Williamson and uh, uh, who else? Richard. Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Yeah. Um, and John uh, Gilgood. John Gilgood. He's just in one one little scene, but uh, there, there's some great performances and Iman. Oh, Iman. Uh, right. That's right. Yeah. She is in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting. It's an interesting kind of fail. One of those interesting failures that uh, I enjoyed because I read the novel and the, and the screenplay again. A kind of high powered screenwriter was Tom Stoppard. Oh wow! And um, okay. didn't know that. But but like, what a pace job! Because I just read the novel and like every scene, every line of dialogue is just from the book. I mean, he did it in a weekend. You could tell. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, literally with. Like a pair of scissors and you know a glue pot, <laughs> just like <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. This is one that's uh, <laughs> an, one of the films that I'm going to be talking about. It's kind of getting it. It's not in my top five, but it's a, an honorable mention. Is this um, this film called Guns at Batasi? Have you heard of that before? No. And it stars Richard Attenborough as well, and it's uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, and I was never like a big Richard Attenborough guy. Like I kind of yeah, got it. Just gonna, I was just going to ask you, like, what was the appeal of like what was the appeal? Like, you know, he seems like a, he's not that dynamic. No, I you know I I assume I, I'm really just like talking out of my ass here, but I assume that he is like a, was a stage actor and kind of like a well, he was respected a, stage a, actor, and then so he got these gigs. But he was also like the director of like the whatever some major theater in London. I mean, he was kind of like a, a dean of stage actors in some ways. You know? Yeah. And, and honestly, after I watched this, that Guns of Batasi, I kind of was like, oh, I get it. Like, he's kind of amazing. Okay. Uh, if you're, if he's used yeah, correctly, okay. I think he's, he's quite good. I haven't seen The Human Factor in like a million years, but. Um... I don't know. I mean, someday they're going to say, what do people see in Matt Damon? I mean, you know, it's just like one of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actors, actors and movie stars belong to their age, really, you know. I think that's yeah, that's true. But there, there some do yeah. transcend. I mean, you know. Yes, absolutely. And actually, you know, and I do. I say that as a fan of Matt Damon. I, uh, you know, I'm just saying because I'm of his age, I understand his appeal. Well, I think that another example of that leads me to another film I saw this year that I revisited. An old one out of the past, and that's obviously Robert Mitchum. Yeah, um, I love that who film. Transcends all time, and I saw that great quote. At, you know, Dave Hickey died recently, and uh, the art critic, and he had what was the line about Robert Mitchum? He has that little essay he wrote about you know Robert Mitchum. Oh, I've never, I've never read Robert that. Mitchum. But he said he was like Robert Mitchum was like a switchblade on a plate full of cupcakes ah, yeah. that's great <laughs> but uh he also told the story of, i mean i love this uh you know mitchell had that pot that marijuana bust that you know oh yeah should have could have ended would have ended anybody else's career but he was all you know already such an you know had such an outlaw image that he survived it but uh when he was like right at the bust, when he was brought before the judge, and you know, it looked like maybe his career was in jeopardy. And the judge said, "You know, 
name your occupation. And he said, former actor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's such a, I, I, again, like that's a guy I could watch read the phone book and I'd be happy. Yeah. He, yeah. I could watch him shit on a phone book. It would be fun. Actually, but, that'd, um, be, that'd be a film I would do yeah. <laughs> on Blu-ray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Out of the Past is great. I forgot about the, the deaf kid in that film. Yeah, yeah. He's That's kind of the opening gambit, right? Yeah. And he sort of, uh, at the end, he's, he uh, he lies to the woman um, so right. that she can go off and have a have a good life with the normie sheriff. Give us a little bit of a, about, give us a little synopsis of uh, Out of the Past for people who haven't seen it. Uh, well, it's a, you know, actually it reminded me a bit of uh, that, that film, well, I mean, that film reminds me of Out of the Past, uh, the, the beginning of uh, History of Violence, that Cronenberg movie. With oh, him. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same idea. This guy has retired from the violent society into a small town. He's in this case, he, he runs a gas station, but you know, the old world comes calling. And so there's a, uh, Kirk Douglas is this, is the kind of crime Lord who, uh, has a, uh, had a, had a girlfriend who absconded with money and he sent Mitchum to find her and Mitchum did, but they fell in love and they were in Mexico and then she took off and, and then Kirk Douglas came after him. Anyway, he's now been sort of, he's, that's all behind him. He's living this kind of nice, quiet life in Northern California, running a gas station in love with the kind of a local, a local girl. And they go fishing together and he works at his gas station with his deaf assistant. And it's all, you know, quite lovely until, until some bad guy, bad guys from the city show up the same, you know, the same notion. And, uh, pull him back in and uh, then he gets sort of trapped in a situation where he's, uh, you know, has to do some, some bad things for this guy once more. And uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't end in a pretty way. But uh, the thing is, is that the, the, the good girl that he was in love with uh, in order for her to go off and, and kind of after Mitchum sort of, Sac- has to die at the end. The, the deaf kid. Well, my only point was he lies to her, uh, let, telling her that he really was going to ditch her for the you know the femme fatale. But that was yeah. not the case. Um, but it's kind of a it's an amazingly shot movie, and you kind of it's it's out. It's a lot of outdoor noir, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's that's a really interesting part Daytime, of it too. too. It's, it's yeah, there are there are there. Yeah, I mean the the if it's not the settings are Northern California, Northern California, um, Mexico, Acapulco, and that's those are very bright scenes. And then uh, there's a there's a foray into San at San Francisco, I guess. And that's more looks like a more of a kind of uh, early noir setting but uh yes it's daylight day daytime noir this is a, a a film that when i have people who ask me kind of what sort of entree into noir like where they should start this is one of the first films i would send them to i mean it's just such a perfectly formed noir film um and it's directed by a great director do you know this guy jacques tenor 
Are you familiar with his stuff? Yeah. 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 I mean, he, everything he touches basically is something that's very impressive. And he always worked, he was most famous for working with this producer named Val Luton and they made a lot of uh, kind of very low budget horror films, but they were very elevated, like uh, Cat People, I Walked With a Zombie, um, Seventh Victim. Um, and they're all just like really, really kind of amazing pictures. Um, yeah, this is a, another great recommendation. This is an amazing film. Excellent. Well, Cat People leads me to another of my films, which is uh, Paul Schrader's Card Counter. Ah, all right. Yeah, that I'm was so a pretty good step. Paul made it. That was a good segue, though, wasn't it? It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that was a that was that was a pro segue. I would say. Uh, you know, the you're not the only person that put this on their top list of the year. Paul Schrader also put it on his top list. It was number one. What his film, the card his own film, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he de he deserves it. He deserves it. Um, it's really funny. I mean, I loved it, but it's so funny watching his films now because they really there's this incredible sort of palimpsest effect where so many of the sequences and shots are just from earlier Paul Schrader films. Oh, and they just pile on top of each other. So. You know, you know when I, you I see, haven't seen it. I haven't seen you, it yet. So I'm like, I'm kind uh, of dying to watch it. So tell me about the, tell me about like, what is, what is he cribbing from? Like what, what are some of the famous shots? Well, well, like, well, I mean, just the, you know, there are all these shots of like Oscar Isaac writing, you know, writing in a hotel room in his, in his diary with a little bottle of bourbon and a glass. And, you know, I just feel like right under that are all the shots of Willem Dafoe in Light Sleeper writing in his diary with a glass of wine at his desk. And then Travis Bickle sitting in his little apartment writing in his diary. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the Willem Dafoe is in this too, isn't he? Yes, he is. He Willem is. Dafoe is in kind of sort of more less like the character in Light Sleeper and more a little more like the character in Autofocus, I would say. But <laughs> okay. okay. But uh, he's not in it much. Um, it's really it's it's quite good. I mean, it takes on it, it takes on a lot thematically without you know spending that much time with it. But uh, it it gets it drives deep into 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 American trauma. Mm. Let's put it that way, uh, and American evil. Uh, and uh, but no, and then there you know the, the you know his he constantly kind of. He's obsessed with the end of Pickpocket, you know, the Bresson film, and, and he kind of, he's constantly, he's always going back to that. He did it in American Gigolo, and, you know, yeah. I won't give away the ending here, but it's sort of, basically, like, a lot of, a lot of it is homage to himself, mm. which, you know, which Makes I really sense. kind of appreciate. I mean, I think, yes. I think when you get to that point, it's like, yes, your film should be homage to yourself. Um, and, uh, but it was great. I mean, I, I thought, uh, Oscar Isaac was, was great and it was a straight, you know, had all the, the Schrader, the severity and strangeness that one, one would uh, hope for. Yeah. I'm, this is something I've been really looking forward to and I, I'm not sure what's taken me so long, but uh, cause I, I, I loved his um, previous film with um, Ethan Hawke. Uh, it's like having that, you know, that, piece of cake in your fridge you don't you know you're saving <laughs> well i've been really enjoying there's uh, there's 
people's reviews on IMDb are really funny for this film. Uh, Cause it's kind of like, I have like a sweet spot on IMDb where, I, you know, if it's like, if it's between like five and seven, it's probably a good film. If it's over seven, I, I, I can guarantee that it's bad. Uh, <laughs> this one is like six or something, but the reviews are very funny. Yeah. They're, they're all like, this film is not about card counting. <laughs> one star. No, it's <laughs> He's and yet, he, he, and yet, it, the film does explain the concept of card counting. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to watch that. I think it's going to be. It's, I mean, I, I think, I think if you don't understand what card counting is when you walk out of this film, or when you yeah. turn this film, when it's over, you you will understand what card counting is. You'll understand some other ideas. And it actually it resonated a lot because I was in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and. Um, had a had a tough time at the casino, and so. Oh, did you lose a bunch of money? Maybe I was. Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't say like a lot of money, but I I I, I lost some money. <laughs> <laughs> the funny well, thing okay. is, I I don't I told myself my whole life like yeah my one vice is that I don't have is gambling. Like I never had any interest. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's stupid. People who lose money gambling are idiots and so forth. And, <laughs> you know, the light the, the lights of the casino floor just dazzled me. Listen, and, uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a romantic yeah. world. You see a lot of people in uh, <laughs> little scooters with oxygen tanks, you know, it's like it's hard <laughs> yeah, not yeah, to get yeah. that could be me, yeah. Wrapped up. <laughs> well, you know, some of them are like some of them, are, some of them are in like glamorous dresses and tuxedos in scooters. And yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, yeah. No, it was uh, it was pretty pathetic, and uh, <laughs> I won't be I won't be doing that again. But uh, it you know, I was I was primed for this film. I guess. <laughs> yeah. and I, I guess I should learn. I guess I'm not going to go back to Vegas until I can really count cards. Is the is the lesson. Well, God bless. Good luck. <laughs> um, so what's next? The one that really, I mean, maybe I'm overrating it because I it was so, I was so uh, surprised at how good it, it was compared to, well, I didn't know anything about it, but I guess uh, the Green Knight, I thought was actually pretty good. Yes, I totally agree. I saw that in the theater. It was one of my first theater experiences um since covid began uh and i i yeah i i, I totally loved it yeah i mean i was i don't know what i think i was expecting something anyway it was kind of beautiful and strange and didn't pander and i really respected okay. it for that yeah there was something nice i remember i i went with a friend of mine who was less enthralled because i think they were expecting more of an adventure tale but there was something about seeing a movie that was so specifically like it was made for adults it was, it was like, an art it was an art film it was an art film yeah yeah and it didn't try to be anything else didn't try to be like super crowd pleasing and i just found it that to be so great and it was just fun to look at and i just i really yeah. i really no, fell it was, into it. it it was gorgeous and it was propulsive without any kind of you know medieval stupidity are you a person just, that's read that stuff like those old 
Yeah, I mean, I, I read that. I read that when that translation came out a few years ago. You read it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, these stories are psychotic. Anyway, like those stories are insane. So the adaptation they, of it yeah. should be as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I, I didn't know anything about it, so I assumed that it would be we'd be getting some kind of Hollywood treatment. And yeah. when we didn't, I was just delighted. Yeah, and I also I, I uh, what's the what's the name of that the main actor? I, I just find him great. Dev, I just love him. Dev Patel. Yeah, Dev Patel. He's great. He was he was perfectly cast. He was fantastic. Yeah. And he's just like very easy to look at. The, the director is an odd guy. Like he's made weird stuff before this. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool that he ended up making this kind of unusual thing. The the, the mean, sequence with the kid where he like runs into the kind of weird uh he's like a beggar and then they kidnap him do you yeah, remember that i like, mean that actor was yeah, i mean that whole sequence they're was like great. child they're like child bandits who yeah are, yeah who are picking over the battlefield where all the corpses yeah. are yeah that was great and then the weird uh duke or whatever that he uh oh joel edgerton yeah yeah he was great he was great um yeah everybody was great yeah, that's uh, what I want to revisit because uh, I, I, it, it felt. I mean, it's a very dreamlike film, but uh, I, I kind of yeah, I'll watch it. Again. I've only seen it once, but I mean, I, I also because I I caught up to it very late and it was already so it was it was I saw it around the same time that I saw Doom. Oh, okay. And, and so, to, in my mind, they were they were uh, up against each other. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> and I I walked away feeling like the Green Knight was better than Doom. Well, I think that that is very true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also think it maybe is a little unfair to pit these two films against each other, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed the Green. Knight well, why? Too. Why is why is it unfair? I mean, one is like a massive blockbuster film. And then one is kind of like a tiny yeah. little weird picture. I don't know. Do I? I didn't dislike Dune, to be honest with you. Did you like it? But I mean, they're but, but they're both sort of. I mean, they're both about cinema on some on some level. They're both about the image. They're both about, uh, you know, leaving and you're like it, they're not. They're not really about you know. Psychological portraits. They're kind of they're about you know this flow of imagery right and i feel like the green knight wins i mean i think that's totally fair and i also think both films took their subject matter very seriously in a way that i wouldn't expect from a hollywood adaptation of either of these pieces of literature (laughs) um like dune is an insane book um so it's and I was impressed at how seriously they took took it. Um, but yeah, The Green Knight, I think, definitely wins between the two. Yeah, I mean, Dune, I mean, Frank Herbert's a pretty interesting character. Tell me, tell me a bit about him. I don't know that I know that much about him, to be honest. Well, I mean, he was kind of a, this, like, right-wing environmentalist also concerned with the rights of Native Americans. <laughs> And if you understand that, then you can understand Dune. 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does track. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, I would be thrilled. I know that they're going to make the second half of the first book into a film. But if they yeah. go any further, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. It's a really tough yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the, uh, I think they get crazier, right? Yeah, I, yeah, think, I mean, I, once Timothy Shelley into a giant worm, I think we're going to be in a, yeah. going to be a, a bit tough. I think we're going to have to uh, have to go with like the Javier Bardem spinoff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was by like that. Anytime he was on screen, I was happy. But, uh, Which wasn't very much. I mean, it, no. it was, they, they chose a very weird place to end the film. If you've read the books, right. I don't know if you've read the books, but um, it's an odd spot to stop. And it's a, it's kind of anticlimactic that... Well, a, they did... I mean, the, the, Lynch, the Lynch movie does the whole, you know... Yeah. Gets them through, gets them through the big battle, right? Yes. I mean, it, like, that they do... Ostensibly, they do the whole novel um yeah so there's a lot of condensed stuff and i get that they're trying to kind of do everything in the book kind of lord of the Rings style um right. well except for they didn't quite do that in lord of the rings but you know they're they're uh they're going for, they're doing multiple films for one book for all those for all those duncan idaho fan clubs out there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can match up with tom bombadil <laughs> right uh, but um I did like that. The only scene I really liked in the film, though, was that last scene. The fight? You're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. That I don't know if you've ever seen it, and I don't know if this is getting too into the weeds here, but uh, Nicholas Winding Refin did a limited series for Amazon called Too Old to Die Young. Have you seen that? Is that... Wait. Is that... I think I did. I think I... Is that with... Uh, Miles Teller, yes. whatever his name is. Yes, it is. Yes, I watched. I watched a great deal of that. I thought that was one of the most interesting and insane things I've seen in a while. It's. I. I am obsessed with it. I think it's amazing, and it's nuts. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. Amazon buried it like the second it came out. But the actor who is in Dune, who is in the fight, this guy Babs Olusukiman, I think his name is, or something like that uh yeah he's the he's in too old to die young as well and i just i think he is like a fascinating actor and very underused who's the act in too old to die young there's a scene i'm kind of you know again it's part of the whole blur of the last few years but there's this incredible scene where miles teller is in his girlfriend's bedroom and the dad comes in to talk to him yeah and it gets like very sexually charged yeah do you remember that scene yeah it's william baldwin it's billy baldwin yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Baldwin is amazing. He's in incredible movie. in it. Yeah, he's great. It's that's a, the best I, Baldwin I, acting of any brother I've ever seen. Anyway, it's a it's a fantastic piece of work, I think, and it's uh, criminally underseen. And I also think people really, the people who did see it, had a tough time for that. But I just think it's it's so it's so amazing. It's something that I rewatch like kind of on a regular basis if I just want to like have something have something to uh, calm my mind. I think it's, I think it's better than most of his filmmaking, to be honest. Uh, but I, I really like it. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's part like this kind of weird, violent, moody crime thriller and part meditation app. Yeah. 
That's yeah, no, it's it's it. it's almost like there's one of the one of the episodes. It's you can just like sort of have it going. You can just sort of have it going and just sit there and. I mean, so it's coming like out of it. He's purposely doing these takes to see how long people can deal with. Yeah. With the shot. All right, cool. It's so, sort of, it's sort of like it's like Bellatar meets Michael Mann. That's, all that's I exactly right. Yeah, it's it uh, absolutely is. So I'm here with Jesse Pearson. Jesse, thanks for doing the uh, the this episode. Appreciate it. Sure. Uh, and uh, so we're just asking all of the guests this year to say their five uh, favorite things they've seen. Doesn't have to be any particular order. Just new or old things that you watched that really stuck with you this year. Yeah, well, um, I had to think about it a little bit because I have a really bad memory, probably because of marijuana, but. <laughs> Um, and also because I tend to watch movies stoned, although I'm trying to cut back on that because I feel like I'm missing things. But um, the top, the, the things that were actually released this year that I liked the most turned out to be documentaries, all of them. Oh, okay. Um, so the first one that came to mind was uh, Fuck You, Faggot Fucker, the documentary about David Wojnarowicz. Oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was, it was directed by a guy named Chris McKim. And yeah, it's just about the, you know, the 80s and 90s um, East Village artist, David Wojnarowicz, who was queer and very politically active and, and, and pretty intense in his work. It's got a lot of really great archival that I've never seen before. It, um, it, it kind of lives in the archival, which is the, my favorite kind of documentary, I think. Yeah. Unless it's going to be a very immersive thing, like, like something like what Herzog used to do. But um, in general, I like archival-driven documentaries. So it's great. Anybody who likes his work or cares about um, political art should definitely watch that. So where, where did you see this? Um, I got it kind of illegally. <laughs> That's okay. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, I mean, I, I think you have to, like, book it as a, to, to screen. Like, I think Kino Lorber is the distro. Okay. And like, you have to like actually book a screening or find someone who has booked a screening. So through, um, I got it through illicit means, which I feel bad about, but also like I'm, I'm the target audience for this. I'm a huge Wojnarowicz fan. Yeah. And, um, so I kind of didn't feel all that bad. And also I'm telling people how good it is now. So it all balances yeah. out karmic, Absolutely. karmically. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that sounds amazing. Uh, and, uh, just for the listeners, uh, I'm going to be putting a list of where you can find things if you can find things, um, It'll be up in the notes section afterwards too. So hopefully we can figure out a way to see this thing. It sounds sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, the next one is is a really obvious choice. I think it was Todd Haynes' Velvet Underground documentary. Oh yeah, yeah, that which was I thought was incredible. It's another one that lives in the archival a lot. I mean, there are primary interviews done for it, but I think it's hard to like get artsy with a documentary and not have it feel distracting. But mm -hmm. I think he he really he really pulled it off. Um, I love the way he used all the old footage and, and I love that a lot of the music, a lot of the takes of the songs were alternate takes, which kind of made them feel fresh and new and recontextualized. Are you a so, fan of yeah. uh, Todd Haynes in general? You know, I feel like I need to like watch a bunch more Todd Haynes, like watch it again. I really love safe. Yeah. And um, I, I love the Karen Carpenter story. Mm -hmm. Superstar. But, yeah. 
superstar, right? But I yeah. fell off on Todd Haynes. Like I haven't seen like when he became Douglas Sirk, I kind of stopped watching, and I feel like that was a bad idea. Like I should go back and check that out again. All those movies. Yeah, I I, I would say definitely so. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff there, and uh, his take on sort of those Sirkian melodramas is, uh, you know, it's it's very much clearly an homage to Sirk, but it's he does his own thing, and they're a bit you know they're kind of subversive within the, the genre they're very cool yeah so it's like which one should i watch first uh well i always screw this up because the title is so close to a cirque title i think it's far from heaven oh yeah uh, that is one of his the, yeah I okay seen that, yeah. <laughs> i mean it sounds yeah. like a douglas cirque title that one i think is that's the first one of that style of film that he did and i thought that was really great um and he also did a limited series uh adaptation of Mildred Pierce that I thought was really oh, yeah. good for I HBO. Watch that. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I'm going to do those definitely. So it was I thought it was incredibly interesting to see him make a documentary. I mean, I guess, you know, he did that sort of annoying Bob Dylan film. Did you see that one? I'm not here. Yeah, you know, I did. I went back and watched it after I saw the Velvet Underground film because I was like, maybe I need to give this another chance, but yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know yeah, about that movie. Not so good. But I sort of feel like it really informed structurally how he thought about making an actual music documentary in a weird way. I think so too. Yeah, it was kind of fractured in the same way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a yeah. Uh, that's a great one. I, you know, it's funny because it almost feels like I watched that last year. It's this like year has been so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Cool. What's uh, what, what's next? It's another music documentary. It's Sisters with Transistors. Okay, I don't know this one either. Oh, Sisters with Transistors is fantastic. You're going to love this movie, I think. It's about, um, like, the pioneers, the female pioneers of electronic music. Oh, okay. So it's got, like, Wendy Carlos and Suzanne Chani and Laurie Anderson. Um, It's by a woman. I don't know if it's pronounced Lisa Rovner or Rovner, but it's R-O-V-N-E-R. Okay. And um, yeah, Pauline Oliveros, Delia Derbyshire. It's it's um it, it's another one that lives a lot in the archival. Of course, the soundtrack is incredible. So yeah, that's um that's a great movie. And how did you see that? I well, I have a membership at Metrograph, and I watched oh, it on great. their online on the yeah their online service at it. That's actually a, a great thing to let people know about because uh, Metrograph does have screens a lot of amazing stuff that you can watch at home. It's a, an amazing yeah. theater. It's, it's great. I wish I could. I've never been to the theater in person, actually, because it started in New York after I left. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's one of the one of the best theater experiences in New York City right now, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, and the online thing is great. They do they screen things that you really can't see anywhere else, and they'll do special events with like Q and A's with directors and things like that too. So yeah, that's how I saw that one. But I think it's re- I think it might be rentable on like iTunes and Amazon at this point. Yeah, it looks like it is. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds that sounds fantastic. I mean, I feel like there could be a whole documentary just on Wendy Carlos. I mean, I know what a fascinating really. person. I don't know how willing she is to speak about the more personal aspects of her history. So I don't know yeah. if you could really make that documentary. But in terms of music, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I did. I don't know if you saw it came out many years ago at this point, but the Big Star documentary. Did you yeah, watch that? Uh-huh. And it was a little odd because the family was, there were producers on it. And so they refused to talk about his sexuality at all in the picture. Yeah. And it yeah. really kind of affects how 
it makes the narrative very cloudy. <laughs> it's problematic. Yeah. yeah a much more, a much, a, a much less like close to my heart subject that does the same thing as that fucking queen movie. Oh my um, God. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Yeah. I mean, it's basically yes. Brian, it's basically Brian May rewriting history. I know. And I was talking about this, I think on the, the Murphy episode, but there's this hilarious thing. Cause they were producers on it, Brian May and, um, the bass player, Rod, Roger, 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 something. Yeah. yeah. So there's all these scenes that there's like party scenes and Freddie's like, hey, right. let's do drugs. And he's like, no, we're going to go home and be loyal to yeah. our lives. You know, like whatever. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Brian may never, never did any cocaine. I'm sure. No, no. Or never had sex with a groupie in his life. Or No, no way. No way in hell. Yeah. So the big, that, that's kind of like a different version of the big star problem, which I guess happens a lot when you get people too close to the subject matter involved in a documentary or, yeah. or a biopic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Music documentaries are tough in general. And it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, right out of the gate, you got, you have two really good ones um, or three, no two, sorry, two. Um, because those are always, I feel like those are always tough because uh, you know, collapses time yeah. and it's just everyone has their own idea about these performers and it's it's just it's a difficult thing to pull off well i think there's also a thing where people become too reverential in music documentaries a lot yeah like i don't know how todd haynes i don't know how that didn't happen because he's obviously like a massive uber fan of the vu but the movie didn't feel overly um like worshipful to me yeah no it's I, true i mean it's yeah, it fetishized them really nicely. Like there were goosebump moments and everything, but it wasn't like um, it wasn't slavish. Yeah, they have. I don't know if you've ever seen these. It was around when I was working at the the video store back in the early two thousands. There was a series of documentaries made by. It's essentially focusing on a different album or a period of an artist's life. So there was like the Bowie Berlin years. There was uh, you know. Um, the queen is dead is one or whatever. And it'd just be British music critics talking about, it wasn't even really a documentary. It's just critics discussing the album. And it was always just so slavishly like obsessive with oh whatever it was. God. It was like the greatest album of all time. Yeah. That's the British music press. Yeah. yeah. Like the enemy and Mo- Mojo. Mojo is all lists every month. It's another list of the greatest records of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, what's, what's next up? This is where it gets a little wonky for me because there are two documentaries that I liked in some ways and had reservations about in other ways. So I'm not sure. But one of them is the one I'd recommend more is probably it's called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Is this about the folk horror? Is that the? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been so curious about this. Yeah. Well, it's three hours long, first of all, or maybe three and a half hours long. Oh, wow. And, um, but it's good. It's really good. It, it gets a little bit like it's very like cult stud in the way it talks about the work, uh-huh. which can be really interesting. But also some people like some people just have better takes than other people. You know, sure. It's very it's very it's very interpretive. All the all the interviewees are very interpretive. Um, but it did like tell me about a lot of things that I had never heard of before. There's a lot. I mean, it, it lists and shows footage from, I think, like over 200 films. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's all the classic British folk horror stuff um, to start with, but then it goes into stuff from all over the world, um, American traditions, world cinema. It gets a little bit wokey sometimes. Oh yeah. And, which, and what, in what sense? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm walking into minefield whenever I talk about wokeness. 
<laughs> You're in a safe space there. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, uh, it, it feels like sometimes some of the selections are reaching a little bit to kind of try to meet like, like, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. like, yeah. like, like diversity or like world cinema quotas. But yeah. then other than that, there are some films from around the world that I've never heard of that I'm definitely like, I was writing down movies a lot while I was watching it. You know, I mean, that's the best thing you can hope for with a, with a yeah. documentary like that. I think it was probably meant to be a, a limited series and then nobody bought it in that form. So they just put it out as a three hour thing. But so I, I would, I would, I would also recommend like not trying to do it in one sitting. Cause by the middle you get jaded and then you're like a little bit tired of hearing these people talk. So like break it in half probably. Right. Well, I know, um, I know yeah. one of the women in, involved who is, I think she's maybe the main person. I knew it was going to be maybe a book. She's a writer. Kier, Le, yeah. uh, Kier Legence or something is her name. Le, Le or something. Yeah, she was the yeah. director. Okay. She's, I mean, her writing, I think, is really great. And she has a deep, deep knowledge of, of this stuff. Um, she writes She was one of the people, lot. yeah. Yeah, she was one of the people who had some really interesting things to say. And so did the woman whose name I forget, who's the editor of um, Diabolique magazine from England. Hmm. She okay. was good too. But yeah, it's, it's. Um, I mean, for a film nerd or a horror nerd, it's like, I think it's a must see, but I would just, there's a couple grains of salt that I would take it with. Right. Well, it makes me think of those, um, those scores. Do you, do you remember those Scorsese documentaries where it would be like Scorsese's favorites and yeah and that was just like a constant you're just writing down movie after movie after movie yeah Um, yeah and those are like that's sort of my favorite kind of (laughs) document I mean I love stuff like that that's this then there's a lot of stuff that's going to be I'm like oh my god I'm never gonna be able to find this because a lot of it's like obscure British television from the 70s but it looks so so cool it's awesome yeah I can't wait to see that and it looks like that is available uh streaming kind of everywhere so yeah that's on itunes and shit yeah i'm definitely gonna watch that asap yeah cool um and then there are a couple of narrative films that are old but i saw for the first time this year that really made an impression on me um the first one is russian arc by oh yeah sokarov i've never seen it until until this year i was completely blown away by that movie yeah it's that's an incredible film Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, talk about it a little bit. Well, it's um, it's it's the 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 sort of showy thing about it is that it's a it's a it's a one take movie. It's like mm-hmm. a, a like a ninety minute one take movie on a Steadicam, so it's pretty technically impressive. But it takes place in um, the Hermitage Museum, like the the Winter Palace in Saint yeah. Petersburg in Russia, and it's basically it's a first person thing. So you are in the eyes of this character called the narrator. Although there is no, I don't think the narrator speaks, if I'm remembering it correctly. You're in the eyes of the narrator. So you are the camera and you are led through the history of Russia, basically, by this French marquee character who's a little bit disdainful of Russians as as well as being worshipful of them at the same time. So he kind of like, he's kind of like your guide through through Russian history. And you see like Tsar Nicholas II, you see like Catherine the Great, Peter the Great, um, there are like three orchestras in it. There are like 2000 actors in it. And, um, I mean, just in terms of the technical feats, it's like the production design, the costume design, the camera work are like so impressive, but it really, I've, it had a really emotional impact for me. Um, mm. I think it was a, a, a seeing history, seeing somebody walk through living history and feeling like these were all sort of ghosts that we were looking at was a really sort of uncanny thing. 
Yeah, it's uh that movie was I remember when it came out, um, the early two thousands. It had such a you know there was a big buzz about it, and it a big part of it was talking about what you just said about this it being a single shot, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it felt to me my knee jerk was that it was going to be kind of gimmicky, and I would be sort of turned off by it. But I I really just found it to be an incredible piece of work. I, I've I've revisited it a few times. It's like it's almost like listening to a beautiful album too. It's um, something you can just kind of hop into. It, it's, yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty fantastic film. Yeah, it's interesting that way. It doesn't take like the history is not chronological. It, ju- it jumps around. Um, yeah. So you don't really. Yeah. It's like I watched it once all the way through, and then I just put it. I, I rented it from the video store near here. So I like I just put it on a couple times before I returned it. While I was like reading something else or like cleaning the house i just kind of had it in the background and it was really like soothing totally absolutely yeah i saw i I managed to catch it in the theater and i was really just very uh very moved by it and i i on a a, at first i was worried i was being that i was (laughs) a total sucker for loving it so much but i i just i've gone back to it a lot of times and i think it's really just a gorgeous yeah that's awesome what's the name of the video store it's called video tech it's in pasadena california Great. Also good plug. Yeah. yeah. Great store. They all, they, they've, they've forgiven my late fees a few times. So I really love them. Oh, God bless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I rented from there that I've been wanting to see for years, cause I've only seen clips. Um, and I really loved was um, taking off by Milos Forman. I don't know if I know that. It's from 71. It's, I think it was his first film made in America. Maybe I could be wrong about that, but it was, if if it wasn't the first, it was, it was Foreman's like one of his early films made in, made in the U S. It's like a generational, it's like a generation gap comedy. It's about like um, this family, this, this couple, uh, the husband is played by Buck Henry. And there's a, there's a daughter, a teenage daughter who runs away from home to go like audition for like a Broadway show. And so it's like cutting between these two narratives of the parents trying to find her and her at the, at the, at the uh, audition. And in the audition, it's just like, we just see all these young women singing and dancing. And it's like, there's not really any script there beyond what they're singing. And it's kind of fascinating. It's just like, they do that song, um, let's get a little sentimental that like old chestnut, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. just this, there's this incredible montage of all these women, these like teenage women singing that song. That's the clip that I saw like 10 years ago. And I was like, I have to see this movie and like weird people pop like Carly Simon is in it. And like Kathy Bates is in it. Like they like pop up as part of the chorus oh. kind of, but then at the same time, um, yeah. Like Buck Henry and his wife who's played, what's her name? Um, Lynn Carlin, Lynn Carlin. She oh was yeah. In Faces. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's great. Um, she plays the wife, and so they're like running around frantically trying to find their daughter, and they end up somehow at a fucking Ike and Tina Turner show at one point. Oh wow! Like we actually just see Ike and Tina perform, and then they end up at a parents, um, like a support group for parents of like hippies or like burgeoning hippies, <laughs> and the way that it works, you know, you know who Vincent Chevalier is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he. I, I think people would probably know him best for being in Ghost, right? When, when yeah. Yeah, he's like Most the menacing known. ghost and ghost, or also yeah. um, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. His, yeah. Buckaroo yeah, Banzai. He's like, yeah, I, I think any listener would recognize his face instantly. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. He's one of those faces. So he plays the, he plays the leader of this adult support group and he, he teaches all the parents how to smoke pot. <laughs> <laughs> and so they all get stoned together and, uh, Buck Henry takes his clothes off and sings an opera and it's just, it's like, it's a very like early seventies, like wackadoo comedy with like a lot, like just everything is kind of thrown in, but it's also Milish Foreman. So it's really like, it's composed really beautifully and it's shot really beautifully. Yeah. It's a very odd film, but it, it kind of made a big impression on me this year. Is it, um, is this, do you think part of that kind of post easy rider kind of give young auteurs their just do whatever you want kind of vibe? Does it have that feeling where it's just like let these guys make whatever kind of crazy film they want sort of thing. I think it could be, I think it could be, I think it also might be the sort of post Rosemary's baby thing where like uh-huh. really great European directors are like given carte blanche um, in, in, by the American studios, you know, right. right. Something like that too. And in a way like he's, cause easy rider is really square. Like that's a corny yeah. square movie. I totally but this, agree. this is like, this is like hipper in its own weird way, you know? Mm. And so how did you come across it? You said you saw a clip of it a long time ago? Yeah, I don't know exactly. It was like a YouTube K-hole like 10 or 15 years ago. And I just found this clip, which is the montage of all the women singing Let's Get a Little Sentimental. And I thought it was just really cool. And then I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't torrent it. And finally, this video store had it. You know, Milos Forman is one of those directors who I, everything I've seen, I've liked, but I've never done a really serious deep dive on his whole kind of oeuvre. Same here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I uh, haven't done a dive on his egg. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> I, I, um, I mean, obviously one for the cuckoo's nest is incredible. Yeah. I don't think I liked um, man on the moon that much. Oh, people versus Larry Flint. Oh, no, wait. Oh, the, oh, the, oh, the uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, the yeah, Jim Carrey. Yeah. He made that, right? Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah. Did you watch yeah. that documentary about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman? It's on Netflix? No. Jim Carrey makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, he's incredibly annoying. But this is about him being method on the set of this movie. And you see Milos Forman just like completely losing, uh. <laughs> losing his <laughs> mind, having to call in that's Andy. Great. And it's actually, I mean, it's, it's, a very, it's very irritating to hear Jim Carrey discusses process, but the the archival footage is actually pretty amazing. And in just in terms okay. of seeing Milos, you know, he's like, please just try acting. Like you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have to be amazing. the guy. Yeah. 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 That's funny. In that case, maybe I'll watch it. But yeah, there's that that earnestness, that extreme earnestness of Jim Carrey, like yeah. is embarrassing to see. For it makes me uncomfortable because I'm very not. You know, earnestness is foreign to me. I know, I know. And he has these revelations that I think most of us had when we were about 12 or 13 about, you know, right. existence it. in life. It's, uh, it's, you know, but literally everyone else finds him completely abhorrent. Like, it's just so annoyed with him. But he's, you know. Oh, man. Now I'm definitely going to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Actor gone full bozo. Um, that's great. So you also got that from the uh, the video store. Yeah, Videotech. Yeah, they're great. God bless Videotech. That's awesome. I know. I've been renting a lot. That's great. Does it feel good to be uh, 
in the video store? Do you find it the way you look for films to be a bit different when you're there as opposed to at home? Yeah, it, 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 I, I often go knowing exactly what I want, but then I'll, I'll, I'll get a second thing that's kind of just based on wandering around. Yeah. But the reason that I like it the most, because I'll rent things that I could easily stream sometimes um, because I find that if I've gone somewhere and gotten it and brought it home and like paid extra money for it, that I'm more likely to actually watch it. Whereas when I'm streaming, it's so easy to just kind of like, if you get distracted for a moment to kind of step away. Yeah. So it like, I like the commitment uh, aspect of renting. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Cool. That's an amazing list. Cool, man. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) These are a lot of great recommendations. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen the majority of them, so this is going to be, it's going to be fun for me to check them out. I am here with Noah Reed, my number one Canadian man. <laughs> I don't know, it's a weird intro. <laughs> uh, thank you. I don't even think that's true. <laughs> it might be. You, you know, you're up there. Well, top 10. You're in the top 10. There um, we go. I'll take that. Uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I know you're a, a busy fellow, so thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. I can't believe after my after my first round, I I, I got the invite well, to, to uh, come no, back. If you want to know the metrics, you are our, our number one streamed episode. You beat out that's James Murphy. Actually, that's ridiculous. But you James Murphy like split his shit. He, he split his over two, he over did. two rounds. So you know he, he might have diluted the uh, he he diluted the the sound system. How are how are you faring in the in, in the uh, are you still getting messages from people to I, demanding I, I, my email address occasionally nice. occasionally uh, uh, you have a you have a very passionate fan base actually everyone's really nice I, I shouldn't say anything because everyone's been so nice <laughs> they love the episode they love you uh, and they're all forty year old women so I think it's a great. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's true you should come come see come see my uh my concerts when i when oh, i get back on the road again it's listen, like it's not the most rock and roll crowd but they're they're devoted and they like to stand right at the front and take photos man i i have no doubt and also that was the uh the last time i was supposed to see you in person was when you were going to play at the knitting factory in new york and it, that was like the first thing that was canceled uh, yeah the first wave of covid which i I feel, yeah, I, I would. I, I'm. I'm so excited to see you. I can't wait. That was a rough. Uh, that was probably the worst day of 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 the whole thing for me. Was was the day where I was supposed to be. Well, at least in the first wave of it. Yeah. In the 2020 wave was the the night that I was supposed to be playing a sold out show in New York City. I was feeling pretty uh, pretty bummed to be sitting at home. You so, know, doing yeah, nothing. Yeah, we, we we were as well. I mean, we were we were so excited to see you here. Uh, and and I, I love the Knitting Factory, and it would have been. Fantastic, but it'll it'll happen. I, I it'll happen. It'll happen. One of these days, it'll yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, so, what I'm asking of all of my of everybody has agreed to do these kind of roundups here. Uh, all the guests of the first uh, series of interviews and just their f- top five films doesn't have to be in order. Doesn't have to be. It's new or old. Um, the the best things you saw this year. Um. So what's what's your first one? And I I was so happy that this came about because I remember in our in our chat uh, on your I guess I was maybe your second guest or something, but uh, I was talking about 
have, having this list of films that I was going to watch that I had never seen. And I didn't watch any of them pretty much. Um, <laughs> which is so fucked because I was in like isolation in New Mexico, like yeah. doing not a goddamn thing. And I, I shouldn't say I watched none of them. I did watch a few of them. But uh, one day on the on the set of this show, Out of Range, that's coming out sometime next year, we don't know when, um, I was sitting around with, with Josh Brolin and talking about, you know, he, they were talking about movies and have you seen this and have you seen that? And I was like, I was reminded of our conversation and I, I just kind of like piped up with like, I think I would blow your mind with the amount of movies I have not seen. <laughs> and he was, it started this whole like thing of like, well, have you seen this? surely you've seen this. And I just was like, no, you know, I'm not going to do the thing where you say like, yeah, I saw it a long time ago and I don't remember it very well. Like, which I would, you know, probably do in polite conversation, just not to like make myself a target. But this one night I was like, you know what, fuck it. Maybe I'll get some, like, I'll get some pearls out of this. And it ended up in this, like, I don't know, like 45 minute bit where like the director was in on it. Other cast members jumped in. And I got this list of like probably 50 movies that he texted, Josh texted me this list entitled Noah's Movie Deeds. And I think I've like, I've dipped into probably like two on this list, which I won't fully share with you because it's it's a little embarrassing, but there are some real gems on oh, it. Like, I mean, like um, the idea that part of your list would be recommendations from Josh Brolin. I think that's pretty, that's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's, it was an embarrassing moment, but I was like, this would serve as a bit of an education for me. He's such a cinephile too, like a real, uh, a real artiste. But I, the number one movie on this list was Jaws and uh, I had never seen it. No, really? I had never seen, that's what started the whole conversation. Okay. We're talking about that's Jaws. That's like Star Wars level of, uh, that's wild. <laughs> That's wild. I know. I know. I was amazed at myself for having the courage to say, yeah, I've never seen Jaws. And I, it took me months to watch it. Like my wife, Claire, and I watched it like, I don't know, probably like four weeks ago. And I, Sorry, you know, I feel like it, it's kind of, it's one of these like, you know, early Spielberg, like that kind of seventies movie thing of, but it, it felt super poppy to me for some reason. I just always assumed it sucked. And I hadn't had enough conversations with people who were like, Jaws is fucking amazing. And to watch it, I was like, man, like, of course this movie was mega popular. Like it, I guess as a kid growing up, it was always that like, da da and people would pretend to be a shark in the water. And then like, you know, I went to like, I don't know, uh, Disney, some kind of Disney or Paramount, uh, whatever yeah, those yeah, theme yeah, parks are in LA. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're like, they got the shark and you're on a tram and it all feels super dumb. So like, I just kind of, I never, <laughs> never did it. And then I watched it. I was like, holy fuck, this movie is amazing. Like the, the, the long monologue that the, the Irish fisherman does. What's his, what's that actor's name? Robert, uh, Robert Shaw. Shaw. Yeah. And like, I knew that guy from the sting, but like that, that monologue where he describes the, the the sharks in the water and off the in in the pacific and during in in world war ii and like making it so real for that character and and the 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 shift in the in the vibe on the boat during that story and then like having it kind of 
end and then be interrupted by the shark again with the barrels. I mean, the whole thing is terribly exciting. I, I was amazed at, uh, at, at just how, like, how it hung up, not just as a, as like a, a you know, semi like suspense, uh, adventure thriller kind of thing, but like actually as a film and, and like as a piece of writing, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know uh, the whole story about that, the speech, the Robert Shaw speech, but no, it was no. basically written the night before because they needed, like, uh, they felt like they needed a way to make this character a little bit more, that you cared more when he was killed. Um, right. So, yeah, I think I can't remember who it's like, I think a famous playwright or like John Milius or someone, they like hired someone and they wrote the speech in one night. Robert Shaw memorized it and the next day gave the speech, which is, makes it even more amazing, I think. Oh, it's just ridiculous. And you know who I love too? The guy, the the sheriff, the um, Roy Schneider. Or Roy Schneider, uh, yeah. Schneider. Oh, yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, he's been who I'd never seen in anything, but that kind of like he, that the the low that's key another what, element. By the way. That's another what? You've never seen him in anything else? Okay, give me, give, tell me why. Tell me why. Fuck. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not doing this to you. I mean, Jaws is the one. I mean, Jaws obviously is the one. But I I know for a fact that knowing you, the the little bit that I do, uh, all that jazz. He's the star of that. It's directed by Bob Fosse. And he plays oh my a God, right. version of Bob Fosse, and you would love it. It's amazing. Holy shit. It's amazing. And I've never seen that. It's probably on my movie deeds list. Um, I bet. I, I, watched, I watched the, uh, the Fosse-Verdon uh, series. Oh, yeah. Uh, which that is, was great. You know, fantastic. But it, it and references that and, and, and the kind of like the big – uh, I don't know, like the perceived like mistake that that was for <laughs> for him, I guess you know. It's, um, it's I mean, it's it's right up your uh, right up your alley. It's a great film. How crazy though that that guy. I mean, that guy has such a such a unique energy. That Roy Scheider guy. Yeah. Like he's so kind of calm and chill, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily see him as a as a Bob Fosse guy. But you know, there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, was a, it was a different time where, like, all three of those leads, I don't think that film would be cast that way anymore. I mean, Richard Dreyfuss, no. Robert Shaw, Roy Scheider. I mean, those are all kind of unusual leading men. So it's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, totally. And Robert Shaw hated Richard Dreyfuss's guts that entire... I feel like he's kind of supposed to, you know? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it works. The dynamic, it's like, it definitely works for sure. Dreyfus is a, like, it, it has that kind of, like, he's so, he's so, there's something abrasive about his, like, his approach, like his attack on that part. Oh, yeah. And, and his, like, I, I know better than you do. And this kind of, like, yeah, all, all of the sort of character intricacies of that film are really, they're, they're subtle, but they're, they're really well conceived, I think. And also just it's it's so expertly constructed, the way that it's cut and shot, it's really a, a very impressive film. Yeah, so um, you know, it, it holds that number one spot on the list for, well, for also yes, it's PG. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. It is a PG film. And it's like there's like How limbs floating in the water. I don't know. 
but there's like nudity at the beginning of it's it insane. too. Like that, it's it's PG. It's a PG movie. <laughs> my God, <laughs> that's Times a great. I mean, that's a great then. number one. I'm like, I'm actually very jealous that you are just you just watched Jaws for the first time. That's that's a kind of great. And maybe even the last time. I don't know. Am I going to watch it again? Yes, Who, you will. To say? You'll watch it again. Well, I've got I've got a lot of ground to make up, and I don't know how many hours of my life I have left. Oh, God, <laughs> that's of, dark. There's a lot of movies that are going to eat up a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's awesome. Well, so what's the uh, what's what's the the second one? Okay, the second one. Um, I uh, I'll go with a new a newer one okay. um, that I watched on the plane. Uh, which is, as everyone knows, this is the best place to see a film. <laughs> um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I oh. I, uh, I kind of played a little bit of catch up on on one of the flights home um, on some of the the uh, best picture releases, and uh, and I I I thought this movie was really excellent. And uh, you know, part of that is that I knew nothing about the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton and that whole thing, and but also, I mean, I just a couple of incredible performances. I thought Lakeith Stanfield. I think he's like one of the one of the best doing it right now. And and Daniel Kaluuya is is no joke. I mean, it, the the like the passion and the the power of of that performance is pretty. Uh, it's pretty clear in his performance, which I think he won an Oscar for. Uh, why people would would follow that man and why yeah. it would completely fall apart in his absence. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just a kind of a crazy story that, uh, that is like just very, very compellingly told. I was pretty stoked on it. Uh, even on a, even on a tiny plane, plane screen, you know, <laughs> you know, I actually, this is one that's been on my list that I haven't seen yet. Um, but been meaning to, because I, I, I do love both of those actors. I, I also I, I love Jesse Plemons as well, and I think he makes he's basically whatever he picks. I always realize it's going to be kind of an interesting project. Absolutely, yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I think he's like he's he's one of the best doing it too, and and his his selections are generally pretty interesting. Some of them are like you know that like Games Night movie that he did a few years ago. What was that like, one? I don't know. Yeah, that Games one. Night. Go, Games Night, not a great film. Entertaining, you know, Jason Bateman and Rachel oh, McAdams and. But he plays this cop who is like <laughs> completely unhinged, and it's like you know that he chose. I mean, it was a different point in his career, but you know that he chose it because he's like, I can do something so ridiculous with this character, and it's like it's the reason to watch the movie. He's he's just phenomenal. I also, I mean, he's, um, he seems to have such like basically no ego. Like he did The Irishman, and he has like no lines in that film, but he just to work right with Scorsese, uh, right. And I also I just watched Power of the Dog, which I thought was fantastic. And I thought I'm halfway through it, and I I I'm mostly in it for Johnny Greenwood. Like I I'm I'm I don't know I'm I'm not sold on Cumberbatch. I've never been a Cumberbatch guy, and okay. I don't yeah. quite get it. But I'm hoping that this we were we started watching it last night actually, and then you know the 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 thing happens that often happens where Claire starts falling asleep and 
I'm like, I either am going to just power through this thing or I'm going to like, we're going to watch it together. And I made the, I think what is the right decision. It, it will become clear if we ever watch the end of this movie, if I made the right decision or not. Uh, well, I, I, I love, I love Jane Campion. I think she's great. And I, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, I think is, um, he's got like, he's an interesting actor. I, 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 I'm basically mainly troubled by his English accent, his American accent. I'm sorry. Right. Never. But that's a big part of this. I mean, it's a Montana, like he's, he's clearly, he's doing, he's, he, he went like, I got to prove that I can be a serious, like masculine American guy. And, and, and here we are. I actually thought he was really good in this. I thought Jesse Plemons was great. I, I, I think it's a pretty fascinating film. And also again, it's amazing to see just like a movie made just for adults that's not some adaptation of something, you know, it's like, uh, it's like a yeah, yeah. art film on Netflix. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice. nice <laughs> it's kind of crazy that the streamers are like, are, are taking over the, the art house film industry as well as like the selling sunset game. Yeah. It's, uh, it's sunset. a, it's a brave also new world, great. I guess. Also great. <laughs> not without its Let's virtues. Not degrade sure. selling sunset. No, I would never. I would never. I talked way too much shit in my first episode. I got to be careful here. Um, <laughs> my favorite was my favorite was that, just a quick sidebar here. After the episode that that we did, where I was talking shit about James Dean, uh, somebody wrote to me. I forgot about that. Somebody wrote to me on Instagram to be like. Because I I said something like you know I haven't seen enough of his movies to really be talking this much shit about him, and somebody wrote me and was like just so that you know James Dean died in 1955. <laughs> I was like, no I know I don't think that he's st- <laughs> for sure. Oh good, sorry sorry to have upset you. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say here that oh, Hillary thinks that James Dean is alive and starred in the last Fast and Furious movie. I'd watch it. I'd if they watch, did I mean, one of those spacecrafty things. Of course. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Paul Walker and James Dean facing off against each other. Two of Hollywood's Walker, greatest also not dead, by the way. Still alive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. God, those, and it's actually a similarity between those guys that I had not really put together before. You're going to get in a lot of trouble for that Come one, too, I think. No, no. <laughs> no, not again. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> moving on, moving on. But I will say first about about this second the the Judas and the Black Messiah, mm. like I think the reason why I hadn't watched it and I and I I don't know what, if this is pandemic related or not, but like it felt it felt like it was going to be like a hard watch. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think like the only other movie of the of the Academy Award nominations, Best Picture nominations this year that I didn't watch was um, was the the drummer um, the drummer one. Um, oh, that's not this past year though. The uh, the one with J.K. Simmons. Um, um... No, no, no. The the one with uh, Riz Ahmed and he he loses. Oh yeah, the uh, the Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal. Yeah, Sound of yeah, Metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I I started watching it. I was like, fuck, this looks great. But I'm just not in a position to watch this man lose his hearing yeah. right now. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Sure. You know, and I I I felt like maybe Judas and the Black Messiah was going to be in that same territory. And it was so not like it was so it, it it pulls you right through this like complicated, strange 
narrative. It's complex. It's it's really it's. I, I thought it was really beautiful and and not like a not not that kind of pain porn thing. Which I'm not saying that that sound of yeah, metal yeah. is that. No, I no. just want you know I, I kind I of get that. I get that. Sure. You know, I don't know. Hard watches are often good watches, and sometimes you're just not in the in the in the space for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's a great recommendation too because that that's one that kind of fell through the cracks for me. And um, I do really love all the actors involved, so that's going to be on my my list to watch in the next week or so. Did you see? Uh, have you seen Zola? Yes, I loved Zola. Yeah, me too. That's my number three. I think I just oh, it's good. so so strange and so like I love the the music of it, like the rhythm stuff of yeah. it, like the bouncing of the basketball becomes like a tick of a clock or something, and and uh, I I I, just, I mean so weird. I I love the kind of the story of that, how that that movie came to be, and like that it came out of this like twitter exchange it's very yeah. kind of like i mean it should millennial be, meta it shouldn't be good i mean based on that story it feels like a terrible idea that it's a film based <laughs> totally. on a twitter post but i think janixa bravo who's the director i think she's like a really smart excellent director um and the casting was great. And it was kind of like a more coherent Harmony Corinne film in some ways, I feel like. Yeah, that's a good comp, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. And we both, uh, I watched it with, my, with, with Emma, my wife, and we both really loved it. It just has such a good energy. It's like, um, and very odd choices, like the, uh, <laughs> what's the, there's one of the actors, um, I think, I can't remember what his name is, but he's like, the pimp actor, but he, so he would speak with like an African accent and then also American, depending on what his oh, name man. was. Oh man, yeah, so strange. I thought yeah, that was such a if great he, if he kinda... choice. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Very, very strange move. And also the guy at the, the, the guy at the end, what's the name of the actor who plays, um, uh, he plays Easy E in the, in the, in the. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. The... It's, um, what is his name? I'm going to look it up because he's fucking amazing. Yeah, Jason Mitchell. Yeah, he was great. He's so great at the, the, the ending without giving anything away. Just like, just so easy with it. And like, really like kind of like friendly to sinister in a, in a pretty big swing. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think Riley Keough is another one of those actors who like, I'll, I'll watch what she chooses to do. Cause I think she's got a weird, She's got a, a, a sort of a strange rhythm to her and she'll just kind of go do a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought this was definitely in that, in that vein. She's so strange. I think she's pretty cool. I think and, that this um, film suffered from being released during COVID too, because I, I could have seen this be like a surprise, if it was in the theaters, like a surprise kind of sleeper hit, like people getting really excited about it. And it kind of fell through the cracks. Yeah. Like people just didn't really see it. And I, I thought it was a, a great piece of filmmaking. Well, you couldn't find it. I, I, when it came out in, um, in theaters, I think it was like in like June or something. And, or maybe even, yeah, I think it was in June. And I, I was in New Mexico still and I couldn't, there was no theater in New Mexico in the state of New Mexico yeah. that was playing it. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really shown. Like it didn't, it, you had to kind of find it streaming. Um, yeah which is yeah. a shame and i think even if like after this year because it's uh what's his name from succession nicholas braun you know yeah now yeah. people love him and i think 
again, it would have been like a huge. How could you not love Cousin Greg? He's man. great. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, he, I think it was like it just there was a lot of stuff that worked against it where people just didn't see the film. But I think it's going to be something that people discover ultimately because it's it is. Yeah, it's really yeah. Good. Totally, totally enjoyed that one. Um, I'll go back to like a to an oldie. I'm gonna go back to an oldie. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I watched uh, I watched Badlands for the first time. Fuck. Terrence Malick's yeah. Badlands, and saw that in theaters in New Mexico no with a way. bunch of the cast of of the show that I was working on. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the guys on the show, Lewis Pullman, he rented out like this movie theater. I think it was like, you know, mid COVID, like you had, it was the only way you could see a movie in, in theaters was you like basically reserved the movie theater. And it was like super cheap to do. I think it was like, you know, 75 bucks for the whole thing. And you could have up to 20 people. And so we went and like watched this in, in, in theaters and, uh, you know, I mean, that movie is just, uh, it's to call it a movie is a little bit degrading. Actually. It's a, it's a real, it's a real work of art. And it's like it to see it in theaters with people too, you get a sense of like actually how funny that movie is. And all of like Martin Sheen's kind of like all of his strange little like dance moves and like little, you know, it's, it's hilarious. He's walking down the street and it's like, someone threw a bag out on the street. I just kind of like picked the bag and that's like the theme, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I was, I was, uh, I was kind of amazed. I hadn't seen that one before. People have been telling me to see Badlands for a long time. Well, l- l- for people who don't know, for listeners who don't know, give us a little quick kind of encapsulation of what Badlands is about. Yeah. I mean, I, it, Sissy Spacek plays a, like a, I don't know. She's like 15 years old and narrates this story of meeting this guy, um, Martin Sheen plays this guy, Kip, who's this kind of like handsome layabout uh, guy who's, you know, I think he's collecting garbage at the beginning of the movie, but wants to do bigger things. And um, and uh, they kind of end up on the run from a, a violent uh, altercation. I mean, I guess it's not, it's not really spoilers that this movie came out in the yeah, I think, early I think, 70s. I think you're safe. But yeah, I think you're safe. She, he kills her father and, and then they kind of like, go out on the run and and you know there's a whole section where they're living in this kind of in this tree jungle type situation and living on the lamb and she thinks it's kind of fun i think it's her reaction to the whole thing is so strange because it doesn't feel real to her maybe that he's like killed her father and and then like as things go along like they get kind of closer and closer and he becomes obsessed with this notion that like you know he wants to be yeah, he actually kind of like feels like he wants to be caught because he this is his shot at like stardom. You know, people yeah. are paying attention to him, yeah. and he shines. He shines in the spotlight even after they're caught. So it's like, um, it's it's really. Uh, I, if you haven't seen Badlands, it's like it's the kind of movie you want to watch several times. Not like Jaws, that piece of trash. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I love that. And see, honestly, seeing anything in theater, it was like, such a nice reminder that seeing things in theaters is like just ethically better than not. You oh, know? I know, I know. And it was, I mean, uh, the, the first thing I saw back in theaters was a French film called La Piscine. That, uh, I think it means like the swimming pool. But it's like Alan Delon. It's like every good looking French actor is in it. 
And it, the film's not it's even like that. It's like the good. sexiest French movie of all time, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty sexy. And it's, uh, it's like, it's not the greatest film, but it was just like just being there and seeing a big screen with these beautiful people on it. I was like completely in heaven. And I think Badlands <laughs> is a great, that's a, that's a, that's a great version of that too. I mean, it's like, everyone's beautiful. Oh, totally. It looks gorgeous. Like it must've been such a fun experience. Well, and that soundtrack too, that like, I guess Tarantino or, or who's, who actually directed True Romance? I can't remember. Uh, that's, that's Tony Scott, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Tony Scott, Tony Scott, of course, there you go. So they lifted that soundtrack from, from Badlands, which is that kind of like, I don't know what it is, glockenspiel, that kind of like magical, lovers on the run kind of a vibe. So yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful music. And I don't know. I, I, I love that. Uh, I'll remember that. Josh was there. I think he was on his phone, but he was laughing a lot at the little <laughs> jokes that. Uh... <laughs> oh God, nothing like a good name drop, eh? <laughs> also, that uh, he couldn't be bothered to watch the actual film. He was just on his phone the whole time. I'm sure he had seen the film about thirty-five sure times. You know? Sure, Josh Brolin. <laughs> That one thankfully wasn't on my list because we had we uh, there was proof that I had seen it. Right. Um, what am I at here? What have I done? Have I done four? I don't know. I think yeah. I think, four, that's, I think four. that's four. Jaws, Judith and the Black Messiah, Zola, yeah. uh, Badlands, and I'm gonna go off. The, I know you, this is a this is a movie uh, podcast, but I'm gonna do an, an unconscionable thing. Um, because I think it's that good, and I think it is it is it is a film, and I think it speaks to the kind of the shift uh, towards this kind of like the 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 middle class of cinema having to kind of live mostly in the limited series world um, okay. now. So I'm gonna I'm bringing up a limited series, Jay. All right, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll, that's allowed. Okay. All right. Um, Escape at Danamora, which oh. is a, a yeah. probably the best i think maybe the best thing i watched all year yeah or it, it it captivated me in a in a in a really significant way and the thing that blew me away about it mostly was that when i would bring it up with friends nobody had seen it yeah. um yeah and you know it, it won it won a bunch of awards like it it was it was nominated for everything the cast is incredible it's benicio del toro yeah and paul dano and patricia arquette and they're all phenomenal and ben stiller directed all eight episodes yeah and uh i i just yeah this was like probably my favorite watch of the year it just it just grabbed me and it didn't let go i think probably the um uh prison break uh, story during pandemic era you know might have had something to do with that a little bit yeah um <laughs> but definitely I I just you know I marvel at Benicio del Toro and how how fucking strange he is. He's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's how amazing. much permission he gives himself to just like do like to to know that what he's doing is is special and to just like do, I'm sure throughout that guy's career people have been like yeah uh, Benicio if we could just like maybe deliver things a little more straightforward <laughs> and he's just like. No, I'm not gonna do that. You know, <laughs> he just okay. has his own. He Your just Benicio has his own way. Very good, by the way. That's a very good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he's got to be like, 
you're gonna be like slicing into a a mango or something I, like you know not not quite an not an apple but like something something stranger you know well uh, I, I'm, eating I'm, a pomegranate with I'm the skin on it i'm gonna take this opportunity to uh name drop now because you brought this okay up. let's go I, I i loved escape of denimore i thought it was fantastic uh and i was asked to dj noah bombach's 50th birthday party okay already weird i know him a little bit and we went and i was with uh james murphy who was a guest on the podcast and his wife was supposed to come she couldn't come she was sick so james was like well sit with me because i don't have anyone to sit with and so i was put at a table and this is not a joke it was me right across from me was noah and then it was ben stiller and then right next to me was brian de palma So I basically said nothing. What's yeah? There was like there was there was uh all the place cards were there, and I saw that I was going to be sitting next to Brian De Palma, and I had basically like an anxiety attack because it's one of my all time favorite directors. I said hello to him, and he said I had a nice head of hair, and then I was in heaven, and didn't speak to him again. Basically, just listened to him talk to Ben Stiller, and he loved Escape at Danamora, and he kept bringing it up throughout the dinner to Ben Stiller. Right. And he's like, he's like, it was so good. It was amazing. He's like, how did you feel about directing this as opposed to doing comedy? And Ben was like, well, it's actually weirdly easier than comedy because I don't have to worry about people's reaction. Like, I don't have to worry about getting laughs. And then Brian DePalma goes, well, comedy's bullshit. (laughs) And And then he said, how was it working with Benicio Del Toro? And Ben Stiller said, very difficult. He's right. Like, he was great, but he refused to interact with him or anyone who was outside of the. They, he slept in the jail cell and he didn't talk to anybody oh who wasn't one of the prisoners, essentially. And then after they were done, he sent Ben Stiller an email and said, uh, You know, thank you for casting me in this and I hope to meet you one day. <laughs> oh my God. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. I mean, Holy that makes me shit. like the performance even more. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's well, amazing it, that he it, does that like, very... in his own little void, you know? Yeah, man. He, it, he's clearly in his own, uh, in his own cell, you know, yeah. whether on set or, or off, but like he, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there is like, when he's doing what he's doing, it's so like, he has such a vision. He doesn't need a director could only get in this guy's way, even if it's Stiller, who clearly has like a ton of respect for performance. I mean, oh, the performances in this in this show are ridiculous. Everyone's doing like um, like Patricia Arquette's character, and it's like you know they show these people afterwards, the the sort of real yeah. life people, yeah. and and they're they're bang on. I mean, she's just bang on, yeah. and she's like so far out there on the on the character limb. You know, and it just it just fucking works. I mean, also um, the way they shot, they shooting I, it on, like shooting it at the prison. Everything was there, like the milieu of the whole thing was just like it felt very lived in and real. And I, I thought it was just great. Yeah, I mean, a very very special show. I feel like that kind of thing doesn't, it, with the the level of quality on all sides, uh, just you know that kind of thing. Uh, it always blows me away when, when something like there are so many opportunities for a show, for a movie, for anything. 
to get fucked up because there are so many people involved. There are so many voices, you know, you might shoot something incredible and then, you know, the studio or whatever, the edit just doesn't come together or hit in that way, or they're trying to squeeze it into timeframes or somebody is trying to justify their position at a network and goes, I think this, and then, you know, see you later. But uh, yeah, this one just, this one just like totally got me. And, and, the amount of time they were willing to spend, like, and this is, I think this has to be a stiller thing that like the amount of time they were willing to spend after a scene had finished, like there's a scene after they've escaped uh, where they're walking down this street after kind of coming up through the, through the sewer. Mm-hmm. And it just stays with them for way too long, like way too long. And it's so great. It's so satisfying that they just keep going. And like the, in this silence, they're kind of like processing it themselves and together and like Dano's kind of shaking Benicio del Toro, who's kind of like not sure if it's for real or if it's really happening or what's what's good or what's bad about all this stuff. I mean, it's just like it's very complex. It's like the last scene of the graduate, you know, where like they 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 hang out mm-hmm. on on the two of them in the bus and they've like escaped and they've done this thing and then they start to consider like yeah. what have we just done you know like it has all of that complexity without saying a damn thing and that yeah. that is a pretty uh that's a nice place to live it's it is and i think that's a you made a very good point that it's actually amazing that anything good gets made these days so the idea that it <laughs> came out and it was that that exciting and interesting that that was i mean i i saw it when it i saw it a couple years ago when it came out i guess but it was um it still sticks with me as uh it's it's a great piece of work for sure that's a good one that's my five man that's your five and i got a lot of shit for this and i i, I gave myself shit because i you're the only person that i forgot to ask one of my two key questions is in the battle between ridley and tony scott who was your choice and i did not ask you so we need to know the world needs to know are you a ridley guy or are you a tony guy well, um, I, I've put some thought into this, uh, and I, I, I want to say first and foremost that I haven't seen either of these men's best work probably. Really? Um, so I'm basing, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what, yeah. what I'm going to look up. I'm going to IMDB right now. Um, these, these two genius yeah. men, yeah. because <laughs> I'm, I'm basing this off of, a, of what would be called in the world of sports and research, a small sample size. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but I will say that my heart says Tony, um, because I just think he's, uh, he's a little more, he, yeah, what is he? He's a little more, well, he's not living anymore, which I think is a factor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, I'm, I'm that Ridley still got room to overtake. Uh, I'm sure he's very concerned about my opinions. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. There's just so many. Like he's like Tony had this kind of like this like rock star thing, you know, that I think is so fucking fun. Like if you think about like you know Top Gun or yeah. um, you know True Romance that we talked about or like. Uh, uh, one of my favorites is Man on Fire with uh, with Denzel and and a, a an incredible cast of of people actually. But I mean that is like <laughs> such a satisfying film, and it's like the cut of it is so like fast and strange and like 
all those little like cutaways to just like you know uh, traffic and and fire and like all of these kind of like like almost music video vibes you know mm-hmm. um sure. i don't know i mean that probably overall i would say probably ridley scott's like like hit list is is like deeper and and maybe more like um i don't know more like industry acceptable but <laughs> uh but i don't know i think tony just had 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 a quality just had a quality i watched i will say this that i watched uh thelma and louise recently um and uh that's a ridley scott right am i making that up you know this is i'm i'm gonna look now because i am surprised that i did not know that it was a ridley or a scott brother that did this movie let's see I think it is Ridley. Oh, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'm okay. not that, going that's insane. That's something that I never. Yeah, I did not. I. That's a film that I never considered in my. My debate here between the two brothers. That's a pretty fun. I mean, like you know, you look at this guy's list of films, and there, there's no. Basically, there's no bad answer in the Battle of the Scott Brothers, um, but but I I I gotta throw it to Tony because I just feel it. I feel it in my bones. You know, you know, I, I'm so happy to hear you say that you're the you're the first one out of all the guests to say Tony. <laughs> no and way, a, really? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a, a hardcore Tony Scott guy. And I've not even said I, I try to stay out of it. I don't want to influence what people think or feel or but I uh, I've been waiting for my first Tony Scott fan to. Uh, to wow. Emerge. And I, I'm, a, I'm a major Tony Scott guy. And I think uh, his resume is. Uh, kind of unimpeachable so uh what's your what's your what's your go-to like what 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 would be the 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 point of your thesis if you were to say like one film of tony scott's it's tough that i should add to my deed okay the the one i often recommend to people who are a little bit on the fence about tony scott i often say revenge if you have never seen it which is a kevin costner film from the 80s Oh, great. Uh, and it's kind of like a very slick noir uh, film, uh, which I totally love. Um, and I think it's it's a good one if you are not that amenable to Tony's style. If you like have an issue with like the way he shoots and cuts, this is like it's it's very slick Tony Scott style, but it's also like very kind of classic. And uh, it's it's a really good one. It's a good one, but it's okay. Great, that's my that's that's next on my list. I also, but I, I mean, I like I like so many of his films. I mean, I like I love Unstoppable. You know, call yeah. me crazy, but I, I like a you're I not like, you're like not a train crazy. film. Yeah, um, yeah, Unstoppable was great. I mean, like I feel like there's a satisfactory, like he just understood like what do people want to watch, and I feel like when I look through as I've been sort of half doing through this piece of this conversation like like the 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 tony list on imdb and the and the ridley list on imdb yeah. ridley's got a bunch of great films there's no getting around it of course but there's a lot of movies on there that i'm like okay yeah sure 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 yeah sure <laughs> and like the tony scott ones the ones that i don't know i'm like oh i gotta watch that like i feel like unstoppable is a great example of a movie that like probably like based on the poster shouldn't be 
shouldn't be great. And that, but I remember watching that movie and being like, I can't stop watching this. It's, it's like it's the perfect thing of a train that can't fucking it's slow down. Yeah. Uh, How do you the argue film should be with called that title? But otherwise, <laughs> my other big argument for Tony has always been that his first major film is The Hunger, and his second film, the film after The Hunger, is Top Gun. I mean, you couldn't find two films that are less like each other, but also are both very impressive feats of filmmaking. Um, right. So I'll, I'll, I give him that one as well. And also, it, listen, he had a really good run with Denzel. Like, they were like buddies. And I think yeah. that it's really fun to see their collaboration over a bunch of movies. And, you know, some of them are junky, but they're all well-made and they're pretty fun. I mean, I even like the remake of Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, which I, the original film is one of my all-time favorites. And I thought I would hate oh. this, but I thought it was actually pretty fun. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Well, you know, uh, obviously, obviously the guy likes trains. He likes trains, yeah. Really into trains. Big train guy. Trainee Scott. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Noah. Uh, it was great to have you back, and we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, man. Great Thanks list, for having man. me that's back. A, that's a really good list. There's a lot of good stuff for people there, so that's a, that's a good one. Thank Thanks, you man. I, I, I tried hard to engage in cinema. And I think actually that our first conversation really kind of spurred me on to, um, to, to think, at least to think about movies, you know, <laughs> if not to watch them, then at least to think That's about them. That's all I them. can ask for. What I, what I want mostly is for people to pretend to have seen things. That's kind of my goal. <laughs> so. I, I, but I learned a valuable lesson that day on set that I, I should not pretend to have seen things because I will get a list of 40 great films that I have to, you know, engage with over a long Listen, period of time. You, you got to send me that Josh Brolin list. I want to see what's on there. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's, it'll be between you and me. Okay. It's a deal. All right. Thank <laughs> you so much, Noah. I'm All right, man. Great there. to chat with you. Yeah. Great talking to you too. Uh, I am doing something a little unusual for this segment. Cause I wanted to talk about my favorite five things that I've seen this year. Uh, and it seemed weird to just kind of speak it into a void. So I thought I would invite a friend of mine on who is also uh, a big film person and one of the funniest people that I know uh, on to discuss uh, his with me. We can, we're going to go back and forth. So with me is uh, Aaron Harris, who is a comedian and a voice actor you can hear in the new Ice Age movie, Ice Age, The Adventures of Buck Wild. Uh, and uh, yeah. he is also a very funny man on Instagram. And you can follow him uh, at It's Aaron Up My Heart. Very clever. A-A-R-O. NSYNC reference. NSYNC reference. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm happy to have <laughs> with me here the very, very funny um, Aaron Harris. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thank you, thank you for having me, Jay. Happy to happy to be here. Happy to welcome. talk shop with you. Yeah. So uh, this is what uh, we're going to kind of do. So with all the other guests, I I was talking about the the five best things that they've seen this year. It could be new or old. Doesn't really matter. There's no doesn't need to be in an order of importance or anything like that. Um, so that's what we're going to do. But I think you and I talk about movies all the time. We have an ongoing text thread discussing movies we're watching, mm -hmm. um, and. We have watched a lot of stuff this year, so we're going to also do a little honorable mentions section to start off. 
things that didn't quite make yeah. the final. Um, why don't you okay. start us off there? Um, what's, sure. your, what's one of your uh, honorable mentions? Well, all right. One of my honorable mentions is uh, The Thief. Oh. Or, or uh, uh, Thief, Thief, Michael Mann. Sorry, excuse me. Just Thief. That's Thief. Just yeah. Thief. Yeah. That's one of my all-time favorite films ever. I love that movie. Like, I, I, I watched a lot of movies this year, but one director, and maybe this is like, you know, a very bro, the most bro thing that I've said all year, but Michael Mann, really, his his directing style really caught my eye. So, like, even Black Hat, I was like, I thought it was, you know, dumb to see what's his ass as a hacker, but, like, it yeah. looked really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Collateral Chris, looks uh, really cool. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris. Uh, Miami Vice. I just, you know, I went yeah. down the uh, a manhole. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Thief was definitely my honorable mentor. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, I saw Black Hat as it yeah. was meant to be seen, uh, hung over in a theater alone with other men who are also alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thief is a fantastic movie. It's James Caan's favorite acting performance, according to him, and he's amazing in it. Uh, ah. He's amazing. He's amazing in it. Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Couldn't recommend it higher. And for those who really want to go down a manhole, he made after this, I think it was after this, he made one horror film called The Keep that he hates and is pretty much unavailable. But if you can find it, it's very much worth watching. Another great Tangerine Dream score and a very weird, cool film. So uh -huh. Two recommendations for the price of one. And if you want to see Logan Roy before he was Logan Roy, Brian Car Cox, he's in what is that movie called? Manhunter. Where he plays Manhunter, yeah. where he plays Hannibal Lecter. He plays Hannibal Lecter. He's the original Hannibal Lecter, and he's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great one. Mm -hmm. Michael Mann's the best. Okay, what's uh, what else is on the list for your honorable mentions? We could talk about Thief for like an hour, so we should probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, another one that was on, I don't know when it came. I don't know when it came out, but um, The Square gets an honorable mention from me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's a very cool film. I thought, yeah. I thought the pivotal scene, and you have a story about that scene, um, but the, that the, the art perform, performance was one of the most, uh, like, disturbing, but, like, in a great way, seen uh, things that I've seen. It's, it's really, it's a cool film. Yeah. So this is... Um... I think the director is Swedish. Um, Ruben. Yes, Austin. very Swedish. Yeah. Uh, and, but it has Elizabeth Moss in it for whatever reason. And, um, but I saw this at, at the Toronto International Film Festival because my in laws are, are from there. And uh, I liked his previous film, which was, I think it was Force Majeure, I think, right? I don't know. But, anyways. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I liked, I thought he was kind of interesting. And, uh, there is a scene if you, we're not I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but there's a very wild scene of a guy doing kind of a like Aaron said, a living art performance at a dinner party. And it made my father in law so angry. He was like, <laughs> yeah, no reason for this. he was very I've never seen him that disturbed since I took him to. Uh, well, I've seen him just I've, I've taken him to a few films that have really pissed him off, but this one really <laughs> it's worth it. For <laughs> this one. Yeah. yeah. It's worth it for that one scene, at least. Yeah. 
It is, and it's a you know, it's a it's a good send up of the uh, art world. It is, and uh, and and you know, rich patrons. Yeah, and it's uh, it's also not traditional in any way. There's very a lot of kind of like surrealistic touches, and it's yes, kind of unusual. I yeah, I like that film a lot. I kind of forgot about that one. That's a good one. Yeah, but in the same way that Force Force Majeure was like, they were like Sweden's number one family comedy of the year. I was like, this is not even remotely funny, <laughs> yeah. 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 but like, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's cool. He's cool. The I guess I think the lead yeah. actor in this went on to play um, Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, that horrible Netflix series. Yeah, <laughs> it was so him. bad. He's so I watched he's good. Though. He's good. He's he's great. I not well. Did you whatever? I I know this is a movie thing, but did you watch Sherlock? Because it's the same I writers. Did. Oh really? Okay, yeah, I watched Sherlock. Did, yeah, yeah. So I liked, had that I say, Sherlock, it was like it's fine. I liked Sherlock too, but this, <laughs> but this was like uh, trying to be. It was like, uh, here's the uh, wait a minute, what year is it again? Yeah, I'm sort of I, yeah. He was uh, this guy, this actor too. I can't pronounce his name. It's like Clace Bung or something like that. He's some Danish guy. But he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in a, a adaptation of one of my favorite writers. This guy Charles Williford, who wrote Cockfighter um, and these Hoke Mosley detective novels. He wrote a book called The Burnt Orange Heresy, which is also about the art world. And he stars in that. It's very, oh, okay. And it also has Mick Jagger, and it's very bad. But anyway. <laughs> okay okay <laughs> not a recommendation okay all right what's next on your uh, honorable mention next on my honorable mention i think is going to be you know okay you know what uh, yeah because i'm gonna say i'm gonna say that my next is gonna be clock is gonna be clock watchers oh clock watchers great yeah yeah i haven't thought about yeah. that in a while. tell us about that one Clock Watchers, I forget who the director is, but it is a it is a 90s uh like mid to late 90s comedy, office comedy that's like you know, when you think of like, you know, the bored yuppie generation and genre of film like Office Space, uh Clock Watchers is in that same vein and it stars Tony Collette, Parker Posey, Lisa Kudrow, and oh shit, I forget the fourth actress yeah. in it, but she's also uh, she's also famous, and they all play temps at a uh, temps at a you know who the fuck you know just like a, a whatever office, and Bob Balaban is in it as a boss, and wow. um, they all you know it's like they all click as temps, but then somebody starts stealing office supplies and it, and it breaks the whole group apart. And it's just really, you would think that it would be like this, like iconic gay film, you know, because it stars all of these yeah. famous yeah. actresses, but it's just like, it's a little too dry. And you know, most gay people, not me are a uh, fucking brain dead. <laughs> so they can't follow it. <laughs> I love this movie. I, I feel like I saw it when I was working at the video store and I, I haven't seen it since, or I, and I kind of forgot about it. Um, it's really funny. I remember the tagline was when I was um, it, on the box, it said the estrogen version of in the company of men. Do you remember that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which I feel like is totally misleading. It's totally misleading. It And so of the time too. 
Yeah. And it's also, it's, it's so totally like the fact that they're women, uh, like it, it, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. It's just, oh God, I fucking, the nineties are the worst. Everything is the worst. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's uh, estrogen filled like, office party. <laughs> I like the idea too, that it's like the, uh, like the female Ghostbusters version of in the company of men where it's like. right exactly (laughs) and it's really i mean it's really cool too like the entire film is shot sort of in this like pukey lime green lighting Mm -hmm. and also like that's what everyone everyone's you know all of the wardrobe and and the set design are in these really muted like like muted yet yet neon so it creates this really like unsettling and nauseating like anxious effect Mm -hmm. um and which just adds to the, you know, total, uh, which adds to the comedy of it and adds to the, it, it really like, it's very at, atmospheric in a way. Like it, it, it adds, you really, not atmospheric, but it's like, you really, you really get how bored and miserable everybody is. I'm going to have to revisit this because it's been so long. And I was like, I had such a crush on Parker Posey. So that was like her at the height sure. of her power. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's, she's phenomenal in it. Yeah, she's great. Um, Cool. Do you have any other uh, honorable mentions? All I was going to say, you know, Chungking Express, In the Mood for Love, oh, yeah. uh, like all the yeah. Wong Kar Wai, but like, uh, you know, those are, I just like, I couldn't choose which one was my yeah. favorite. So, so they all, the, you know, the they first, all get honorable This year mentions. was the first time you've seen any Wong Kar Wai stuff? Yes. That's great. Oh, man. Yeah, those movies are just fantastic. I feel like he's kind of having a weird moment this year, maybe because did Criterion do something? with him or something like that i can't remember Criterion did yeah and then also well and then also um tony uh tony tony lung tony lung yeah. was in the marvel movie was in oh right Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi. So. yeah 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 he's having a weird little renaissance which is great i i, I saw that there was some he's some of the films yeah. were being screened at, at um anthology or, or a film forum or something but uh that's pretty cool yeah those movies are all fantastic yeah and the fact that i mean he can uh, he plays somebody at you know totally different in, in all the films that I've seen, and yet it, he's just he's a really emotive actor. He's so good. He is. He's beautiful too. He says a lot with his eyes. Yeah. He's beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous to look at. Cool. Well, all right. I will. Uh, all right. I'll do yes, my, Jack, yes, my queen. honorable mentions, honorable which mentions. are all a little troubling, to be honest with you. Um, okay. I had a hard time. So I wanted to include new stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And also I've talked to a couple of the old guests doing their list and I didn't want there to be a lot of doubling up on films. Um, and I'd like right. to say on record before we do this whole list, no one so far has said licorice pizza. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going after this podcast at six o'clock. I'm going to go see it on 70 millimeter. So maybe it would be on my list. Mm. I don't know. I'm excited to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, I just, well, I just saw Boogie Nights last night on, on, on the television. It was playing. Forgot how good that movie is. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't made a bad movie to be honest with you. I know it's kind of, you know, lame to love him, but I think he's so great. He's great. Um, I absolutely was obsessed with the Phantom Thread. I thought it was such a good film. Uh, all right. You loved it. My, my mom hated that movie, but you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's it's not very parent friendly. 
Um, yeah, I think she just hates beautiful women. Yeah, yeah, don't we all? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking of okay, well, you know what? That's a, actually a good way into this. Uh, speaking of hating women, okay. One of my honorable mentions <laughs> is a film called Sitting Target, um, starring Oliver Reed. Okay. It's from okay. the seventies. I think it's from. Let's see if I can find it here. Seventy-two, nineteen seventy-two. It's so it's Oliver Reed and a very young uh, um, Ian McShane, who you would know. From Ooh, as, yeah, from Deadwood. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So he was a really hunky guy. He was like kind of. Well, past I was going to say the king, the kingdom fame, the uh, short-lived NBC show about if New York City was ruled by a king. But yeah, sure, Deadwood. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not familiar. But so the, oh, the premise, man. the premise of the film, this is not a joke. This movie is psychotic. This is why it made the list. Okay. The premise of the film is that Oliver Reed is in prison. He's a criminal of some sort. I don't remember why he's in jail, but he's like in jail for life, essentially. And his buddy is Ian McShane. They're both in jail together. His wife comes to visit him. Oliver Reed's wife comes to visit. Him. And she says, I'm leaving you. I can't stay with you. You're in prison. And I'm pregnant. I've met someone else and I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he goes so mm-hmm. insane that he breaks out of jail to murder her. <laughs> <laughs> <Cool>. I'm not <laughs> – I mean the idea of this film being greenlit even in 1972 is great. Like, it's, so, yeah. <laughs> it's so insane. It's so insane. Um, Who is the director? Uh, he's like a nobody. He made like a bunch of okay. junk. His name is uh, Douglas Hickox. He made like um, okay, okay. He made like some crappy horror and some exploitation stuff. I don't even really know. I don't honestly. I haven't looked into this film too much beyond having watched it uh, because I was so kind of <laughs> blown away by. I mean, it's it's well directed. Oliver Reed is obviously and he's like one of my all time favorite actors. He's amazing. Yeah, he's definitely fucking shit faced throughout the entire film. He's definitely drunk. The entire uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I don't want to say any more about it because if you're if if that even remotely interests you, you're gonna just every scene you're gonna be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know it does, friend. You know it does interest me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is just such it's such a weird, wild movie, and it is it is so it's so it's so fucked. It's like deeply fucked up. Uh, so, okay. anyways, that's why it's on the honorable mentions. Okay. 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 So that's one. Um. Oh, another. Okay. I'll do. I'll get my most controversial choices out of the way. So okay. the next one is a documentary film that I saw, but I didn't see the finished product yet. It was like it's like a working print, but it's soon to be released, and it's called Alex's War, and it's made by uh, a director named Alex Lee Moyer, uh, who she previously made the documentary the feeling when no girlfriend about like incel culture um oh which, uh-huh okay yeah. uh which people had a hard time with because it it, it heard the, her kind of style of directing there's no talking heads or interviews it's just kind of letting these people express themselves so yeah you know it can be i mean troubling certain things that people say this is so this this documentary is is about Alex Jones Oh yeah, and I went to a screening, Ooh. and it was, uh, it was really fantastic. Um, you know, I think people are going to have a really hard time with it, uh, based on 
I went to see Errol Morris's documentary about Steve Bannon, which was incredible. Uh, and then because of the political climate was never. When is, what is that called? When that is called. Uh, let me look it up there. Cause so we saw it at TIFF and. Okay. He's made, he's made so many documentaries about like, like the, the McNamara documentary, the Rumsfeld documentary. And these are all war what? criminals. People who have like literally killed people. Steve Bannon. Right. Has not killed anyone, but because of, you know, the political climate that he could not get distribution for the film. And it's fascinating. No it's, shit. It's, it's totally critical of Steve Bannon, like outwardly so. Uh, um, but uh-huh. it, it never got distribution. So this movie, I think, is going to suffer a similar problem, I think. Um, the name of that Steve Bannon documentary is, let's see, it is called American Dharma. Um, and it's fantastic. Dar- okay. Yeah. Um, but so, so this is called Alex's war. Uh, it will come out. I think it, I think people will probably find it fascinating. And she did what she did with the previous thing. There's no talking heads. There's no one talking about Alex Mm -hmm. Jones. It's literally everything is just Alex Jones in his own words. It's like him being interviewed, old footage of him, current footage of him. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know, follow him around. Yes, she, she did. She was, she does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was at the July sixth thing at the Capitol with him. Uh, she gets some really amazing footage that I'm shocked he would want her to use. Um, right. And my impression of it is that it's not without opinion. Like the way she cuts and the way she uses music, it's clowning him in a pretty serious way. The theater was laughing at him. Yeah. almost the entire time. Um. Right. 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 But, you know, I think purposefully it's like a little mysterious as to what the point of view of the film is. Um, but I, I really I honestly thought it was like a fascinating film. And if it does get a release, yeah. I think it's worth a watch. I thought it was really cool. I like that approach to documentary filmmaking. Like, um, I mean, this is not nearly as controversial a topic, but. It's just the one documentary that I can think of that I saw recently that is like this is Poto and, uh, oh, fuck, where is it? Poto and Cabango, which is a documentary about these two sisters who made up their own, who quote unquote made up their own language. And I mean, there are talking heads in it, sort of, uh, they're scientists, but like you really feel like the documentary, the filmmaker doesn't have a like there's no like so i sat out you know i set out to see if if they really could create their own language like it just kind of shows you like from start to finish what these girls um the environment that they grew up in what their family is like and sort of figuring out what this language actually is that's a really good suggestion for people too that's a fascinating documentary and that director has made a lot it's fascinating Super interesting films. I mean, you know, not to put too fine a point, like like the Frederick Wiseman style of documentary filmmaking, where it's literally just like sets a camera up, shoots what's happening in the room. Yeah. There's no editorializing. This is not quite that. Like it definitely, the way she uses music okay. and cutting, there's definitely like a point of view of the director injected into it. Uh, it's not totally like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's meant to be kind of funny and kind of loose. Um, but yeah, if you're a fan of that yeah. style of filmmaking and, he, you know, whatever you think about Alex Jones, which most people agree, 
it's he's a fascinating character and his arc is fascinating and it's like it's a pretty wild documentary and uh yeah so that one's great that almost made my top five yeah okay i don't want to get canceled so um right (laughs) Uh, i i think it would have made my top five if i knew it was the finished version um i think once if the finished product sure yeah yeah um so that was great and i keep your eyes peeled for that um and then um these two real quick the last two i have honorable mentions for are new films that i just wanted to mention um so green knight being one um and Mm -hmm. titane being the other Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. well, I didn't see Titan, so I don't know why I'm going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But well, yep, Green Knight. <laughs> Green Knight. I, I really, I, I think uh, Dev Patel is like a very beautiful looking man. I thought the film sort of defied expectations for what people people thought it was going to be like an adventure film, and it's kind of an art film. And um, yeah, I just, I, and it was nice to. It was one of my first films back in the theater. Actually, one of I another honorable mention I'll say is La Piscine, which I saw at Film Forum. It was like the first thing I saw. Oh, uh, yep. That had a real like everybody. Everybody was watching it this summer. People went nuts for that film. I think the timing was right. People went like, nuts for yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I like I liked Green Knight. Yeah, good. <laughs> That's it. Thank That's you guys. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I liked Green Knight, and the fox, the talking fox, didn't bother me. No, I mean I I love a talking fox. Uh, you know, Antichrist is one of my favorite films, so I I, I will always go for a talking fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, yeah. I, I thought it looked really nice. I thought it was mysterious. And it was the first time I've seen like, it was like, oh, this is kind of like an adult art film in a major theater, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, and so, and Titan similar, uh, Titan is completely nuts. I'd seen this director's previous film. She, uh, had a film at TIFF again called raw, which is kind of a, about girls who are cannibals sort of. It got made the okay. news because, like, nice. someone puked at the screening or whatever. But her films, I think, are, are – Oh, my are, God. Okay. Yeah. They're not like that. They're, her, the films are pretty wild. Um, Titan, the opening sequence, like, the first 10, 15 minutes of it, I thought if it stayed at that clip, I wouldn't be able to stay because it was just so, like, insane. Um, and okay. then, it, then it turns into a completely different kind of film and gets very quiet and it's almost like a Claire Denis movie or it was like Beau Travai, Ooh, okay. referencing Beau Travai in like some very serious ways. Um, but the premise is essentially yeah. this woman fucks a car and gets pregnant by a car. And then oh, I love that. And she's like a serial killer. So it's completely, oh I mean, it's, it's, really, right, it's really wild. And uh, again, you know, I, the main thing I want is for these kind of movies to keep being made. These kind of like middle budget, Rated R for adults, not based on a previous property or anything like that. It's just like the original kind of wild, fun films. And it was again seeing it in a major cinema. I didn't go to an art house cinema. I saw it at Alamo Draft House. Then it was playing at multiplexes. Yeah, and it had quite a life in the theater. Like people want to see stuff like that. So I thought it was. I thought it was. Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask you if you think that um, if you think that that type of art film that is can get played in a bigger theater. Do you think it's like it's there's there's having a moment? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Or I mean, or is, has it always been going on? No, it did go away. Those films like weren't really happening. Yeah. And then A24 and some other companies were starting to do stuff like that. Um but again, it's like people aren't even going to the theaters to see like West Side Story. You know what I mean? Like these movies are eating shit. Right, so yeah. I think I think 
these movies are going to kind of start coming back more. These kind of less risky, yeah. middle budget um, films. So the director of that film, her name is Julia Ducourneau. Ducourneau, I think. Um, and it's great. And it stars one of my favorite French actors, this guy, Vincent Linden, who um, is in another amazing movie that I would recommend called The Mustache. So if you've never seen it. Um, okay. So those are my honorable mentions. I'll Actually, I'll quickly tell you the premise of The Mustache because it's very good premise. It's about a guy who has had a mustache his entire relationship with his wife. Oh, yeah. You told me about this movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. He yeah, decides yeah. to shave it off one day and no one notices and he goes insane. So it's a great <laughs> Right. Movie. That's so fucking rad. It's so French <laughs> yeah. and it's really great. And he's a great, great actor. And in Titan, he's really a major presence. He's he's really great. Um, so yeah, those are my honorable Girl mentions. Cool. A cool. Really cool. Super cool. Really cool. Rock and roll. Um, super cool, <laughs> super cool. J'adore, j'adore le mustache. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do let's do our list. We'll we'll do our, our top five. Okay, we'll go, we'll go back and forth. So, you, why don't you start us off? What's your uh, there, like I said? There's no order. Okay, what's your what's your first pick? My first pick is going to be just because it's the first on my list right here is going to be The Exterminating Angel directed ah. by Louis Bunuel. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic choice. Tell us a little bit about the film. So, so, well, you know, let me just, let me just say that, uh, like I find, you know, I, I, I signed up for Criterion at uh, the end of last year. And so like all of these movies I'm seeing for the first time, hmm. And that can be a great thing or maybe not such a great thing in the case of Godard, like I'm too old for to think that Breathless <laughs> was cool. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But also, like, if I seem like a baby, you know, like being like, duh, I love this movie, you know, whatever. But The Exterminating Angel is about a group of, uh, like, well-to-do high society uh, social group in Mexico City and they're all invited to a dinner party at this couple's mansion and at the end of the meal nobody can seem to leave for whatever reason they cannot leave the dining room um and that that's all of the guests you know the all the staff as well well except like the staff who are on hand at dinner uh you see you see the other staff of the house like the cooks and the other maids they all leave the house before the dinner party starts and it's never explained like they hint that something ominous is going on but it never uh, you know you never actually see anything and it's just really i mean i thought it was such an amazing concept i thought it was a very cool cool take on a, a comedy of manners that like nobody wants to leave before anybody else um his yeah. camera work the fact that he was able to i mean you have like 15 people who are all in this one room and it's just the camera work just glides around and yeah eventually you know there's like these people grow so desperate when like when they don't have help or they don't have their their creature comforts or you know it's like the rules of of, of their social circle prevents them from leaving properly or like leaving and it's like throughout the entire dinner party they're like we should really get going it's like oh well we need to stay for coffee 
but of course they're all shit talking each other and like there's a couple that i don't want to give too much away but it's like everybody starts to go insane well um, i think i think the rule is if the film is made before uh 1950 you're allowed to uh Oh, no, it's not 1962. I think you're allowed to spoil it at this point. It's fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like how quickly oh, okay. it, when it, like, it, de- it devolves so quickly. Um, it, it's yeah, it's, it's amazing. It devolves. It, it was amazing. And it was also like there's some really weird moments like that. I had to go back and rewind at the very beginning, like when they play um, everyone arriving at the party, like the, they play that whole scene and then it cuts and then everybody they do the, the entire scene over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's like, there's a bear that's inexplicably walking around. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, after I watched the movie, I went on the internet and I was like, what does the bear mean? And it's just like, even Louis Bunuel himself was like, it can mean anything you want it to mean, which yeah. I just fucking loved. Well, that's, that's surrealism for you. The first time I saw this film, actually, I was in college i went to hampshire college and i was studying under this woman named joan braderman who was in the 80s kind of like a very big video artist sort of a pioneering feminist video artist and she had a class called okay transgression and subversion in film and video and we would have screenings Mm -hmm. and this was one of the movies on the uh screening list and i'd never seen a louis bunuel film prior to it and i didn't know what to expect and it i was in a room with a bunch of people and it felt so claustrophobic watching that movie in a theater so claustroph- with people yep. um, that I had to like get up and go to the bathroom just so I knew I could leave <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's such a cool movie. And I think if, if, if people listening, if they've never seen Louis Boonwell, this is a great place to start. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you have and haven't seen this one, it's a must. I mean, because there's kind of different stages of his career and uh, from like the sort of Los Olvidados, which is kind of like bicycle thief-esque realism-ish stuff. And then later on, Uh, the street charm of bourgeoisie, like that kind of thing. He even made some crazy, he made some amazing like wild melodramas too. Um, And they're all great. But I think this like is his most, this like sums him up the best, this film, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm glad that I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that this was the first one of, uh, the first one of his films that I saw, because I think that if I had watched Belle du Jour first, or even, uh, even, uh, uh, what is it? Vera, uh, Vera Diana, if I had seen that first, I don't know that I would have gone and watched, uh, yeah. this one. Yeah. Totally so, yeah. different style of movies. I mean, there, there's one. To give one more Boonwell, if this is another one that's criminally underseen that he made in the fifties, it's called "The Criminal Life of Archibaldo de la Cruz," I think is the title, and it's about okay. the life of like the development of a serial killer and like his Whoa. perversion from like childhood to adulthood. And there's this, it's it's so it's so good. It's very straightforwardly, you know, it's a more of a straightforward kind of melodramatic film, but it's still so perverted and insane um highly recommend that one yeah oh and i'll say one more thing about it is that i'll say that when i watched this movie and like you know probably because this was the first time i was like actually getting into cinema i had never seen black and white filmed that way with so much depth and shadow it was just like it really blew my mind yeah yeah no it's it's amazingly shot um and it's and like it sounds if the description can sometimes when you when I tell someone about it, 
it sounds difficult to watch. Like it's uh, because it's yeah, it takes place it's in kind not, of one though. setting. It's not, and it flies by, and it it's it like flies it's a, by. It's really, really, it's really great. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, that's a great one. Um, okay, cool. So I guess which one am I going to do first? My list is a nightmare. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to start since we're kind of doing that yours is a classic. Um, I'm Mm going to start with a classic too, that I had not seen. Um, and I told you the wrong title because I'm racist, I guess, but uh, this, the, the, uh, (laughs) right. Oh, okay. The movie, uh, I chose is uh, drunken angel by Akira Kurosawa. Um, Mm -hmm. and I had seen a lot of Akira Kurosawa films. Um, but I had, there's a, he's made a lot of films and there's a lot that I hadn't seen. And there was, um, Turner classic movies was doing a retrospective on his career during the height of the pandemic, the first kind of wave. And I watched a lot mm-hmm. of movies there and I was just like, it was a lot of rewatching like, um, you know, throne of blood and, 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 um, sure. stuff like that. And I was just like, fuck man, these movies are so good. Like, you know, cause. There's yeah, they're just like insanely good and they feel modern. And I and I love Toshiro Mifune. I think he's just like the hunkiest man on earth. And he's just mm-hmm, so fucking mm-hmm. right. So I had never seen and I might be getting this wrong, but I believe this is the first collaboration between Akira Kurosawa and uh, Toshiro Mifune, uh, Drunken Angel. And so Toshiro Mifune is young. He's a young man here. And he plays a criminal who gets I don't. I actually don't want to spoil this because it's such a, a, a surprising noir-ish film. He gets involved with a doctor and they develop this relationship. Um, and I just have had a, only a few moments where I realized like there's just like it's distilled perfectly when you can see that someone is such a movie star, like unquestionably. Mm-hmm without even saying a line. And the first time that Toshiro Mifune appears on screen, you're like, fuck, this guy is like yeah. a movie star. I had it once. Can't when take I, your eyes off of him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's the camera is obsessed with him and he's so magnetic and like, he's like vulnerable and he's, he's masculine. And it's like, there's, I don't know. There's so much going on. And I only, I had it once before and it's a weird thing to say, but I was not like a, I was not a big John Wayne guy. Uh, but then I saw uh-huh. him in Stagecoach, and the first time he's on camera, I'm like, "Holy fucking shit!" Like this guy, yeah, <laughs> is a movie star. Um, and I kind of talked about this with Bruce LeBruce on the last podcast, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna belabor the point too much. But um, uh, Drunken Angel was kind of a revelation to me, and again, and then after that, I went and saw Stray Dog which I had not seen. And that's Religious, the one I yeah. told you was going to be on my that's list. That's the one you told me about. Yeah. Which is also a great, great which, film. It was, it was so great. And I found myself, um, like there's an extended, I would say extended scene um, where he's gone off on his own, looking for his gun on his own. And one would think that like, after eight minutes, you'd be bored of watching somebody walk around and uh, you're just not. It was a really cool movie. Really cool. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's he's just such a magnetic person that it's uh, impossible 
not to want to watch him. And so the premise of um, Stray Dog is that it's a it's a guy who's lost his pistol and he's searching for it. Um, and it's a very simple premise, but it's like a cop. Yeah, he's a cop. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So and 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 basically, in Drunken Angel is again he plays this he plays a gangster in that one um mm-hmm. yeah i just I, those movies are great and i mean i think probably a lot of the listeners have are familiar with his work obviously and i'm not gonna like blather on about um these movies because it's also i i mean he's one of those directors where sometimes i'm like seven samurai <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> like <laughs> right ah, yeah <laughs> come on you know and then it's on TV and you're like, yeah, holy yeah, yeah. fucking shit, this movie rips. Holy, you know, there's a reason yeah. why people love it. So you know what I was gonna I was I was gonna ask you, in the Kurosawa films that I've seen, uh like I've never seen an, another obviously he's a master of you know framing and 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 you know blocking scenes. Yeah. I've never seen another director like so many times people and characters have their backs to the camera and it's like it just works so well and it's something that i have noticed consistently and uh i was wondering if you noticed that yeah or like if that's yeah. a thing or it is a thing and i i don't want to i don't want to get into i don't know enough about it to like talk about it really like to the level sure it deserves. yeah but i mean there's a lot of J- japan because of where it was located they were kind of had their own film language that had nothing to do with western filmmaking um, and it's very stage, stage like a lot of still shots, a lot of like very little cutting. Um, yeah. And I think a great example of how complex it got was in Kurosawa's High and Low, which is a kind of a really High great, and low. Hi- a really yep. great ransom kidnapping story. It's all done through blocking. Oh, it's There's so good. Very little cutting. It's like the way the actors move in the frame. Um, and it's I you know mm-hmm. Ozu um, Mizuguchi all these directors have do versions of that um, and again I, I don't want to like I, I'm not an expert on Japanese cinema but but it, it is a thing it is a thing for sure and it's it's super compelling it's like it's makes it a very it's very dynamic uh, even though it's a very static frame yeah mm-hmm. okay yes agreed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Someone's gonna. I know someone listening is like their eyes are rolling out of their head, and they're like, "This guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking." About. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm like, let me ask you a question. Do they always have their backs to the camera? <laughs> you know, the Japanese love to have their backs to the camera. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, yeah. well, I'll cut it out. So uh, 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 that's my that's my first that's my first one that's my first one. Uh, and that's okay. about as, as classy as it's going to get. It's all downhill from there. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's do your next one. My next one, since uh, since both films, uh, both Kurosawa films are uh, noir, my next film is going to be a neo noir called Point Blank. Ah, yes, great. Yeah, tell us, tell us about it. Point Blank. Uh, I don't. I forget who the director is, but it John stars Warman. Lee Marvin. You know, this is a very. Uh, it's like cool guy in a cool suit with a with a, you know, troubled past, criminal past, gets out of jail and gets hired to go fucking shoot people. It's like who cares about that part? Lee Marvin. I've never seen any talk about 
instant star the minute you see him on camera. I've never seen somebody move like that. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. And also a, a, a classic drunk. All right. Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> yeah, he's a famous, <laughs> famous drunk. But he's, I mean, he's he's one of a kind. He's like, he's just such an amazing looking guy. And a great actor, too. Great actor. And a great actor. And, uh, you know, this movie, it's, I I was just really, I mean, watching it. I felt like I was texting you the whole time that I was watching it. Yeah. Being like, what about this? Oh my God, this frame in this scene. I mean, and it almost to me had the same sort of Michael Mann, like really um, all of the, like ev- the colors are so thoughtful. You know, everybody's outfit matches the room that they're in. And yeah. like every scene has a certain color to it. And, you know, there's a bar scene or there's a scene where he is, uh, Lee Marvin goes into this, it's like a, a you know, whatever, a strip club. And there's a, a soul band performing and Lee Marvin like finds these two guys and he gets into like a fist fight with them while you see this band performing in the background. Yeah. Like it, it was just so cool to watch. And it was, it was a really, yeah, I was just really blown away by the attention to detail and also how good and menacing Lee Marvin looked in every scene. He's amazing. And I, I can't, I think if, listeners have not seen this film i can't understate how like it's one of the most important crime films ever made um and just such a beautiful it's really edited kind of unusually there's a lot of mm-hmm. the sound from his footsteps are going over the top of a scene for that where something else is happening there's lots of that kind of stuff um if you've if seen the film the limey by steven soderbergh that's basically like i'm sure he's said that this is his version of point blank i mean and it's been the one it's such yeah. a hugely influential film but it's not stayed like it feels exciting every time you watch it i i could watch the movie like any day of the week it's just such a great yeah movie. it there, there's no like there, there there's never a time from the very beginning even like the the opening credits it's just like bam bam and now you're in the movie like there's nothing there, there's there's no like okay well here's the story and here's like something establishing what's going on it's just like you're just thrown into it and it works and it's beautiful and john borman is a really interesting director and he often deals with kind of weird ideas of masculinity he made deliverance for example um and oh so okay he has oh, right. like a okay. very unique take on this kind of masculine man um or what men consider themselves to to be masculine or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that again, that's one of my all time favorites. I, I love, I love that. Mm-hmm. Movie, and I'm glad it made your list. I really liked it. And I, you know, usually like in those types of movies and I'm not like, I'm not trying to be delicate here, but like there is no, there, it, it, I mean, it's still occurred, but like usually there's just these scenes where, you know, this masculine man is being, like a complete fucking dickhead to like a helpless woman. And it's like, that happens in this movie, but like in this, in a really artful way, okay. I, I don't know how to describe I, I, I it. See, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> 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 this is not, a, I did not plan this, but so I think this is a good, good segue into my next film. So, <laughs> so the point, the film point blank is based on a, 
uh, a book and a character by a guy named um, Donald Westlake who went by the name Richard Stark. He wrote these crime novels. And the character's name is Parker. And in the books, he's like a complete psycho. Um, and, you know, Point Blank does a pretty good job of, of replicating that for sure. Uh, but it's much, the mm. film is much more artful than the novels. And I, I'm a fan of the novels. Um, I think it's based on a book called The Hunter, Point Blank. So the next movie I'm picking is also a Parker novel by Richard Stark. Uh, but in this film, uh, playing Parker, it's not Lee Marvin. It is uh, Robert Duvall. And the movie is called The Outfit mm -hmm. from uh, 1973. Um, and there's a couple things I want to talk about with this film. Uh, so so it's he's, he's playing the same character and all of the stuff that Aaron said that you find in these films with misogyny and uh, they're all in this movie. They took him out of point blank and they put it all in <laughs> the outfit. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he it's, it, there's this style of film and this kind of character that exists in these crime novels where he's so the character is so masculine that even having sex with a woman is gay. Like it won't even have sex. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this he's is like so, too focused. Cleaning his gun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this is yeah. uh, this stars Robert Duvall uh, at the height of his powers. Um, uh, Joe Don Baker at the height of his hunkiness. Ugh. Dreamboat. What a hunk. Karen Black, who is one of the most idiosyncratic leading women uh, in the history yeah. of cinema. She's so she's so great. Um, she is great. Mm -hmm. It's directed by a guy named John Flynn, who I'm going to talk about a little bit in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, the. They changed the name of Parker. He's called Earl Macklin. He he robbed a bank that is owned by the mob, unbeknownst to him. But then he serves mm -hmm. his prison time. He gets out, and he feels like he's owed a specific amount of money from the mob. And uh, he basically tells them he's going to terrorize them until he gets what he wants. <laughs> and that's what he does. Yeah, and also, yeah, and also, it's like a little bit like because he finds out that they killed his brother. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, and and it's sort of a it's sort of a revenge film. Um, and it looks really cool, and everybody in it is like icy cold, and it's it's really rough. Yeah, it's really rough, and um, I I really enjoyed myself watching this film i did too and you know the more like the more i thought about it the more i liked it and the one thing that i really liked when i was watching it was like it was sort of to me it had the same vibe almost as like how you were describing to me as the texas chainsaw massacre in that you can he, like feel i really could feel like feel that i was there i could feel like the the grittiness and like even when he is going to see the head of the mob, it's like the like carpeting is fucked up and there's like paint that's chipped on the wall. Yeah. They deal. They, they like they, the atmosphere is like, it, it's all very, it's all very gross. Like everything's bad. It's and gross. I, I think, yeah. I think, you know, the director again, who I'll talk about in a second, but he did a great job of kind of tipping his hat to old noir films too. Cause he gets Robert Ryan to play the lead of the head of the mob. Um, who is kind of, you know, who Duvall is directly in battle with, essentially. And yeah. then there's these great character actors like Timothy Carey, who if you Google him, you'll be like, oh, that guy. 
and uh, Elijah Cook Jr., all these guys who have been in noir films and have great faces. Like, all of the casting is really good. Every Jane Greer is in it. There's all these great little mm-hmm. people. Um, and so the director, John Flynn, this is a guy that I feel like everyone should know about, but is, like, not talked about at all. He was a total kind of workman director, but he made so many fantastic films starting with the sergeant in 1968 with rod steiger which is kind of a remake of billy budd um it is a remake of billy budd but it's set in the military rod steiger plays a sergeant who's obsessed with uh one of his underlings he's in love with him and because he knows he can't have him he just treats him like total shit it's fantastic it's a fantastic film then he made the outfit he made a film called Rolling Thunder, which was written by Paul Schrader. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about a Vietnam. It's one of my all-time favorite films about a Vietnam vet um, who comes home from war and he's completely fucked up. And it has a very young, hunky Tommy Lee Jones. Another kind of revenge film. Um, mm-hmm. He made kind of a post-Death Wishy movie called Defiance. He's made like he made so many really cool films. Super well made, well cast. Uh, really interesting. So I, I, if you're looking to go down a, a wormhole on a director, John Flynn is a great one, and you can kind of stop in the 80s because the, the 90s gets a little little weird for him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's my uh, that's my number my number two. What's my number three? Number three, not, not in any particular order, but number three, I'm going to say, is the film Z by the director oh, Costa Garvas. This is a m- movie that is based on a uh it's from the 70s and it's based on a real life real life uh coup attempt uh but in this movie it is a fictionalized coup attempt that happens in Algeria uh and the uh murder of or maybe like a political assassination maybe it's or maybe it's not a coup attempt but it's it's a political assassination of a political leader uh and then there is an inquiry by uh, like an outside lawyer who and it ends up implicating all of these army generals uh, in this assassination and uh, they all get in trouble but at the end of the day uh, nobody actually gets in trouble and it was it's so fast paced the editing um, it's in it's a French you know it's a French film uh, and so it's it's just like all the dialogue flies by the editing flies by it feels the feel of the film is very chaotic and uh you know it feels very much like uh you know trying to get to the truth as fast as you can and then you know just unbelievably uh frustrating that uh in the end all of these uh people these these army generals and other uh political figures who were implicated uh like nothing nothing bad happens to them yeah and I'm not, I'm not trying to like, like, and just the same way that the Trump blah, 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 because I'm not, <laughs> but it was just, uh, you know, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's fascinating and frustrating and depressing, but like also a real thriller. It was like, it was a, a real thrill yeah. ride. My heart was racing. I thought it was great. Yeah, it is a great film. And this is a movie that I avoided for so long when I was at the video store because the box and like, I was like, what is this? This is <laughs> Right. It is a dumb, yeah, it's a dumb political... movie poster. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just, it looked very self-important and like serious. And... Right, 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 right. And uh, it's, it's, 
a, it's a super modern feeling thriller and it's like it's yeah very fun it's like a really good watch um and so yeah don't don't if you've not seen it don't be put off by how you know the, the, the cover art or the premise like you're gonna be sucked in right away and it's it's it, it really does feel like a modern film it it, it plays really nicely yeah and if you if you're a, a fan of political thrillers and geopolitical espionage well there's no espionage in this but uh yeah you gotta yeah, watch but, I mean, it if number one if you do like that kind of if you like that style if you like espionage films you'll absolutely love this i mean even like, absolutely it sounds so dumb but like even like the born films or whatever i was just this is the father of those kind of movies there's no question that what's his ass was influenced by this movie the director yeah. of the paul born greengrass movies paul name. greengrass yeah yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. absolutely. Um, so it's it is it's it's really fun. It's not it's not like this heavy heavy film, which no, has heavy no, has not. heavy ideas, but you're not gonna. It's not like, you know, you get like you're like uh, Bergman. I don't know if I can do that right now. You know, this is not that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's not you know it, it it's not really like, uh, it, it's. It's it's not any it's not a tale it's not like a mor, you know a morality story it's not trying to push anything on you yeah and you know what I mean like it's just like this happened and this happened and then this was the result and it's awesome yeah it's great that's a great great pick for sure um all right so for my yeah. third um no one's gonna give a shit about this one but uh, <laughs> okay. um, uh it is a uh, Robert Wise kind of noirish western um starring Robert Mitchum and Barbara Belgettis mm-hmm. um called Blood on the Moon which I had I've seen I saw for the first time uh sort of recently um Criterion did a I don't know if, if you guys have the Criterion channel they'll do these kind of featured programs where they're themed kind of and they had a noir western theme um and I had seen a lot of the pictures that were in it, but I had never seen this one. And I love Robert Mitchum, and I love uh, I love uh, Robert Wise. Um, so I was excited to watch it, not expecting a ton, um, and I just loved it. Um, it is beautiful to look at. The performances are great. Yes. Um, it's it's yes. like psychological. It's pretty taut. There's like double crosses. It feels. It does feel like a a noir film, but set in the West. Um, and yeah. I, I just, I, it was such a revelation to me, this film. And, you know, I, I have one friend who's seen it and he's like, yes, that's an amazing movie. And you know, no one else really, no one talks about it. And I feel like it's not in the, people don't mention this movie, especially when like, people talk about Robert Mitchum films. Robert, I just don't, right. it, it doesn't come up. Never... And he's so good in this. And it's such a cool movie. Um, so if you're a fan of noir or a fan of Westerns, um, this is a great one. I think more if you're a fan of noir films that you'll, you'll totally fall in love with this. It's like, it's just such a great, it's, it's a great film. And I think it's like an hour and fucking 10 minutes uh, or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it that is, yeah, it's, it's a shorter movie. I watched this very recently, like two nights ago with my parents and my dad, he thought that this was a, like a, a, a very anti-communist film. Oh, that's interesting. It probably is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah and he was like when was this movie made and i was like 1948 and he's like yep he was like i'm telling yeah he was like this guy there who's trying to you know like corral all of the other farmers together but turns out to be uh, you know a a, a, a shyster he's yeah. like this is anti-communist yeah that's interesting and I was like, oh I, yeah I didn't, no, that's funny um, it didn't occur to me but that's yeah <laughs> that sounds right i would never i mean it would never have occurred to me maybe that's why uh, i don't really talk about it that much yeah i really like i mean i thought it was beautifully shot i thought it was I I never seen really a noir western before. Robert Mitchum, all the acting was great. Robert Mitchum was great. I did think like I I did not like the second half of the film and like the ending where it was like everyone was like ha ha ha. ha. I was like yeah. okay. Well, that's well, I mean that's also but that's a period thing. That's too. also just and like Hayes Code exactly. Stuff. There's yeah. things that have to happen in those kind of movies, and right? Yeah, but I think I think after you watch some of these films, like you're able to mentally separate yourself from some of that stuff. And absolutely. It's a, I think it's yeah. a very, it's a very artful film. And it's got, it's got great, like Walter Brennan is in there who he's a guy who talks like this. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's fantastic. Who, yeah. Which I, yep. Yeah. 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 Which that was the first, I think that's the first movie that I've seen with him. And I was like, Oh my God, that's where that voice comes from. Yeah. He's that's the guy. I mean, he's amazing. And uh, yeah. He's in every many, many great Westerns. He was like a very good character actor. Um, yeah, I, I mean. Mm-hmm. And and there's a great bar fight. There that, is. The bar fight scene is great. It is great. It's shot really cool. I mean, and I, it's and it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a dark film. Um, and uh, yeah, I won't I won't belabor this one because I, <laughs> I think it's like a <laughs> middling interest to most people. But I, I I I thought it was so fucking cool. I loved it. Cool. Uh, what should be my next one? I guess my next one is going to be, maybe because also people don't care about it, is uh, the film Close Up. By... <laughs> people care about that. <laughs> Do they? I don't know. I yeah, mean, that's a huge. That's like I, a... I loved it, but I was as I was watching it, I I've never seen anything like it. It is it's it's an Iranian film by um by the, the director Abbas uh, Kiarostami. It's a documentary, but it's essentially this story that actually happened where this man pretended to be another very famous Iranian filmmaker, and he met this woman on, he was sitting next to this woman on the bus this one day and convinced her that he was this filmmaker and that he was going to make a film and he wanted to make a film with her family in it and starring her family and you know she invited him to her family's home and he he went there and he said that he was gonna have a a film crew and they were gonna you know shoot in this location and he really only ever conned them out of like cab fare i think yeah that's this family but you know it's iran and so like he was he went to he got arrested uh once they once this family found out that he was not this famous Iranian director, and he was put on trial. But this film, so so it's a documentary about this, and he films the actual trial, but he also gets the actual man and the actual family to recreate all of these scenes that happened, to recreate the con. I just, I mean, I just never seen anything like that, and I thought it was beautifully shot, and 
a really like a meditative film and yeah i would highly recommend it it was just really a cool movie to think about you know while while watching it's it at, cool. and afterwards it's very cool and again i i don't know this for a fact but my feeling is so this film as aaron said is like it's based on a it's based on a true story and he got all of the people who actually participated in this story to act in a film about the story so it's very meta yeah. kind of wild idea but it became there's there's he set a precedent where there were films that followed i think they call them like meta documentaries or some fucking shit but there <laughs> but there is a like uh. like um, the first thing that came to mind when i was thinking about this movie was um little Dieter needs to fly the Werner herzog film which is about a fighter pilot who crashes mm-hmm. and he's held as a pow and the way Herzog makes the documentaries, he gets the fighter pilot to go back to where he was held captive and he hires actors to like reenact the stuff he went through as he's describing it to you, which is a very crazy thing. Right. Um, and there's like uh, the act of killing. So there's but this stuff, was and the I'm, first I'm, and it's like, I think it was, it feels like I can't um, think of anything that, that did that before that. And also, but it's like, it's a film. It's not a. It's not a documentary. Yeah. It's a film. It's not a documentary. So it, it's yeah. Still different than I don't all know, of these if movies. I called it a documentary before. Yeah. No, you didn't. Yeah. You it's didn't. not a doc. I called it a doc before. Okay. No, you you didn't. You didn't. It, it, but it's like it's it it's very it's a very unusual thing. I mean, I'm just watching now a documentary about those that soccer team that's trapped in the cave in Thailand that was rescued by divers. Oh yeah. Yep. So yep. Yeah. I'm watching I gotta see it. That. I, get... I was watching it, and they have like the diver there. I'm like, how do they get all this footage? And I looked it up and they got the real people, the divers who participated in this, like the kids and they recreated the scenes. So it's, and they wow. don't say anything about it. It's almost like misleading, but it's, um, but it, it's like, it creates this kind of like, it's a fascinating style. There's another documentarian called Ulrich Seidel who uh, he's also just, he's just a filmmaker. He makes very interesting films, but he started off making these quote unquote documentaries where it was real people telling real stories, but he would set up scenes and have them kind of act out the story. Um, and they were really mm. unusual um, and disturbing. <laughs> There's one called Animal Love <laughs> that I can't really recommend in good conscience, but it's a super interesting film. Um, <laughs> what is what is the Thai what is the Thai soccer player doc? What is that one called? It's called The Rescue. It's on it's on it's the National Rescue. Geographic okay. produced. I just I literally just started it before we went on the call. It's the guys who directed okay. um, Free Solo, that climbing film. Uh, right, right, which right, right. Which I thought was incredible. I thought it was really good. Um, but yeah, that so close up is like a very fascinating film, and it's uh, uh, there's really nothing like it. Honestly, this is as close no. as we get these movies yeah. we're talking about. And they're not the same. Like it's, this is still like a proper film. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, and it was really rare. It was really rare to uh, uh, have cameras in the, the courtroom. Like the fact that they let allowed him to film the actual trial. I was looking was this up too, because like, like the, there's a big question of whether that footage was real or not. And I can't really get to, it seems everybody seems to like, yeah, it's real. It, but it's like people yeah, I aren't think it's, sure. I think it's real. Because he shot that on 16. I know, I know. And the rest is Which on is 35. Awesome. So it's like, it's so, it's hard to tell if it's real or not. But yeah, that's the kind of the beauty of the movie is it's sort of like, you don't know what the Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that, that's great. That's great. Um, all right. Uh, God, fuck. What am I doing? <laughs> um, so the next one I'm picking. Uh, God. So this one, um, I, uh, uh, I'll just get it over with. I, this is The Man Who Would Be King, directed by John Huston, uh, starring, yeah, yeah. starring uh, uh, Sean Connery and Michael Caine. Um, and uh, a John Hurt, I think, plays Rudyard Kipling. It's based on a Rudyard Kipling story. Um, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Yes, correct, correct. Yes. Um, yeah. So here's why. Here's the story with this. This is why I picked it. Um, I love John Huston. Uh, I think he's a great director. He's made films that have spanned many de- decades that have kind of like defined the decade in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I'd never seen this before. And I love Michael Caine. I like Sean Connery. Fine, you know. Um, but I think I had a weird idea about what it was about. And then I, I was reading mm-hmm. something and they're like, oh, it's like this rollicking sort of buddy action. <laughs> right. <adventure." laughs> right. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, and like Michael Caine or, or Sean Connery said, this is the best role I've ever played. It's my favorite role. And, uh, and also uh-huh. Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling was coming up a lot. Um, I'd watched the, the, the Hemingway documentary that Ken Burns made and, Kipling was like it's everyone's favorite. Kipling was like everyone's childhood favorite author, like of that generation. It was like his stories were uh-huh. inspired a lot of people. And I don't know that much about Kipling, and um, <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna watch this movie. Like I'm in the mood for something like this. Like these guys and like you know, I've never seen it. I don't really really want to know what it's about. So I went into it a little bit blind, and uh, listen. It does not hold up well to 2021 standards. <laughs> it has some serious issues with race. And I'm just going to say that. Yep. And this is a man who just watched Holiday Inn. And that is incredibly troubling. <laughs> What's Racial. that? What's Holiday Inn? It's uh, it's a Fred Astaire, Bing Crosby film. Um, oh, oh, say no more. Say no more. No, no. My dad. I mean, it, it, it's that movie is so fu- they have such a fucked up segment I can't even get into it, but um, so uh, this- I think yeah I, I mean any any Fred Astaire movie there's like always a one scene where it's like he's tap dancing and there's savages in the background it's like it's insane <laughs> this is not this is worse than that so and it's Bing Crosby it's okay. not even Fred Astaire <laughs> it's bad oh, but, uh, anyway, oh, oh, so, oh. so the premise of this film essentially is these two guys who are best friends uh, Sean Connery Michael Caine. They were in the British Army together, and they were fighting. Um, and they they've remained in whatever their fucking Syria or whatever the fuck it was. This is problematic for me. I don't yeah. know where they were. It's all kind of mythical. So they're basically going to go to this area where and they've Kafir never stand. seen. Oh, it's so bad. The fear stand, yeah. So it's like made up places, yeah. And it's like they've never where they've never yeah. seen white people before, and they're going to be basically fleece these people and become kings and gather all this wealth mm-hmm. and then come back. So the opening s- stuff is them traveling to get there. And it's like through mountains. Here's the thing. They're both really great in this movie and their chemistry is really, really, really good. And they're super charming. Um, and the film is fucking epic. It's humongous. Yeah. And I have, this is like, I'll, I agree with that. Yeah. I'll go like, I, you know, this is after watching like fucking, Marvel movies, which I don't have like a major issue with or anything, but like 
or or Lord of the Rings where there's these big battles, right? And it's all CGI people. This is not CGI people, and there's hundreds of extras, hundreds, and it's yeah, like hundreds. trains and like mountains and fucking castles like everything is real and there's so much of it edith head does the costumes and the costumes are like amazing um amazing yeah and i was just sort of like kind of swept away because i'm a you know i'm a white man so i was like (laughs) i was swept up in it and I, i really found it to be just like very pleasurable with a couple of moments of being like uh oh like not great you know this isn't good and i'm i'm i fully will cop to the fact that this is not a, a I, this is not a film that i would it's got problems like a lot of problems but yeah. i found it i'm it's on the list solely because i found it so refreshing to see a film where everything was so tactile and like this big it was like a big big hollywood film and it's just a thing that doesn't exist yeah. anymore on that scale like it's like the amount of money it would have cost them yeah. to make this now there's no fucking way they'd make this movie yeah. Um, yeah, never, never. And I, and I can appreciate those aspects of it, but, uh, and it, you know, to tell you the truth, I could only watch the first hour and I was oh, just like, I'm so done. Much more interesting. This, I, it gets so much more interesting. I swear to you. I swear to you. There's like, like, okay. there's like the, the two worst scenes are in the front of the film. And it, one of them involves okay, okay. Sean Connery wearing a dreadlock wig. We're not going to get into it. I don't want to oh, talk about it. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another it's scene fine. involves just... another scene involves watermelon. Not going to get into it. Don't want to talk about it. Yep. <laughs> but but it's as really, it goes, uh... it, it gets more. I mean, it gets more interesting. And once it gets a little bit more fanciful, like it's a little bit more magical. Um, when they get to this uh-huh. sort of imaginary land, uh, it the 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 racial stuff gets less troubling because it's everything's made up. It just feels kind of like, it feels like fantasy. Um, okay. So, I mean, listen, okay. don't watch it. I don't care. If I mean, I'm just telling you, I personally was like, oh man, it feels good to watch this like big, huge Hollywood spectacle with these two actors, like with, at their most famous, kind of just like palling around. It was, I don't know. I was, I was charmed by it while admitting that, it's has major problems. <laughs> sure, sure. So that's 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 my recommendation. We can leave it. Fair at enough. That. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, my last movie, which is not problematic because it was written and directed by a woman, um, is oh, yeah. uh, a new leaf. With written and directed by Elaine May, uh, oh, yeah. and starring Elaine Elaine May and Walter Matthau. Made in made in 1972, I believe. Walter Matthau plays uh, a, a very well-to-do rich man uh, who finds out that he spent all of his money, he spent his inheritance, and the only way that uh, he can maintain his lifestyle is if he gets if is is if he marries uh, a well-to-do woman. And his uncle, who uh, has been supporting him, makes this deal with him that he says, okay, I'll loan you this amount of money, but you have to marry, you know, in a week or else you have to pay me back in full. And so it's a wild romance and Elaine May plays uh, a botanist who is also, you know, disgustingly wealthy. 
but she's uh, a total square and uh you know uh walter Matthau like is disgusted by her he might even be gay and uh might be <laughs> might be 100 <laughs> percent. but he That's uh like, yeah yeah, right, right. Okay, yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. Um but he does marry her and uh it's very funny uh and he you know, at the it's very funny and at the end of the day he comes around and he decides that oh, okay, I actually like this woman, not sexually, but like she's not as bad as I thought she was. He was going to kill her and get all of her money. Yeah, but that, he decides not I was going to say, you're, you're burying the lead here. The whole premise is that he's so disgusted. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Of marrying a woman that he wants, he's going to marry her and then murder her. I don't her. want you to be like, <laughs> well, I didn't want you to be like, Aaron, spoilers, no spoilers. Well, that's, the, that's the that's the gambit of the yeah. film. That's like the, op- that's the whole thing. Like the opening bit is like, he's gonna, he can't stand the concept of marrying a woman. So he's going to, he's going to marry her and murder her and keep her money. Yeah. And he's a horrible person. And his person. uncle, I he's forget like the a terrible character. He's a he, terrible, terrible, terrible. And I forget the actor who plays his uncle, but his uh, that guy is so funny. Oh, and yeah. his uncle is like you know a fat gay guy who who cuts up his bananas with a fork and a knife and smokes. It's, it's just so um, funny. It's James Coco and is the actor. Uh, James Coco, he's, yeah. He's in a lot of. Uh, I think he, he's in a lot of like Mel Brooks stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I think. He's very recognizable. Yeah, that movie is great. And it's written and directed by Elaine May, who's, yeah, she's like, she's one of my all-time heroes. I just, like, I I, I love her. I love those Nichols and May records. I, I love all mm-hmm. of her films except for Mikey and Nikki, which I can't stand. Um, but that's not her fault. Um, I even yeah, like no, Ishtar. No. Birdcage is, I've never seen Ishtar. Ishtar is not, it's one of those movies that doesn't deserve the reputation it got, which is going to be a good transition to my next film, okay. actually. Um, but a, a new. Oh leaf, yeah, the, this is the surprise one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, but a new leaf, I couldn't recommend higher. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, That's go great... go watch it. It's hilarious. Physical so comedy fun. and uh, also, uh, it's really fun. Yeah, really. It's good. a great. It's a great and unusual Walter Matthau performance. He's he plays a very yeah different type. He's not playing the kind of slouchy, grouchy guy that you are that he does so well. He's a very uptight. Yeah. Very hemmed in. Um, even his the, the way he uses his voice is very different than how you would think of him. And it's great. I, I fucking, I love that movie. It's so good. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, so yeah, this is a good transition to uh, talking about Ishtar having a tarnished reputation um, for no real good reason. Um, so my pick is, is uh, I just watched it last night uh, or the night before. Bonfire of the Vanities. I had never seen it before. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, but I had this crazy time with this book, essentially. Like, I, I, I tried to read the book a few times, and I had no luck. I would get, like, about 100 pages in, and I would just kind of – it wouldn't work for me. And then I got the audiobook, mm. and the audiobook was really good. And I listened to the whole audiobook, and I was like, you know what? I see why the people love this book. You know, it's got – whatever. It's got problems, but it's like – it's really entertaining and it's complicated and everybody sucks. Like there's no good person in the entire story essentially. And then there's a great podcast series that Turner classic does called the plot thickens. And the last season of the plot thickens was about the making of bonfire, the vanities sort of about, there's a book written about it. Uh, There's a female critic whose name is escaping me, which is terrible, but she wrote, it's called the devil's candy. 
uh, about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. She had unique access. She had a relationship with Brian De Palma, and he was like, come on set, interview everybody, do whatever you want, write this book. So she basically was behind the scenes for the makings of this tremendous flop and this huge career. Right, Brian yeah. Had, like it, it almost ruined Brian De Palma's career. Um, and I it's a fascinating... You'd never seen it before since you... You love Brian De Palma so yeah, much. Yeah, I love him so much, but I always just, everyone's like, it's terrible. It's a terrible movie. Um, I didn't know what the source material was really at the time. And I was like, it just, uh, for some reason, it didn't interest me. There's a couple of his films I haven't seen. Um, but mm-hmm. this one, I don't know. I just, I was like, it. I didn't, I, I just understood it to be really, really bad. So I listened to this podcast and I thought the podcast, the stories are really amazing. Um, super interesting. And, uh, and then I was like, you know, I haven't seen the film and I love Brian De Palma. It's like one of my all time favorite directors. So Emma was like, yeah, let's watch it. Cause she listened to the podcast as well. And so we watched mm-hmm. the film and listen, it's not good. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I can see what the issue is. Like if you've read the book, so many people read this book and it was a huge bestseller. It was like, the talk of the town and people actually still cared about novels and novelists. And Tom Wolfe mm-hmm. was like, is like, was like a famous person, you know, which doesn't happen anymore. Right. Right. But when you know all the material and you can see how it's adapted and like how everyone kind of like, you have to change this and it can't quite be like that. And this has to change and that has to change. And it, and there's so much going on in the book that you can't cram into this film that it doesn't totally work out. And I honestly would love to have watched it having not read the book and see if it even made sense. Like, because it's such a weird, I knew what was going on the whole time because I had read the book. Emma seemed to follow it. No problem. Um, But again, it is made. It's you. You'll never see a film of that caliber, like that size movie directed. So, art arty i guess i don't it's not the right word yeah the opening scene is like this giant single tracking shot following bruce willis through like these underground tunnels he's getting an award and he's shit face drunk you follow him like through these tunnels up an elevator like it's an insane shot it's insane yeah and then like everything is like these dynamic low angle shots when tom hanks plays us a bond investor and he's in like uh you know the crazy room where everyone was like computers and screaming like wolf of wall street style and there is literally 500 people in that shot and those shots for him just like talking on the phone and it's like it's just it's really (laughs) unbelievably shot split diapter split screen like all the stuff that you think of when you think of De palma films they're all in this and tom hanks is actually really Mm. really good um bruce willis is not good uh there's good, well, there's sure. so much good things about it. And if you're, so I'm saying this, first of all, the book is, is really enjoyable. The podcast is great. I recommend it, whether you want to watch the movie or not. And if you're a De Palma fan at all, you should watch it because it's like, it's very, it's, it's a very interesting addition to his catalog and it has the stuff that you like. And it's, it's, it's got all the little things about De Palma that, that are fascinating are in this movie. Uh, it's not a it's not a particularly successful. Was he film. at the like height of his? No, he was no he was he was kind of on his ass uh, no. at that point because okay. he made a flop. Okay, he made Casualties of War, I think, right before this. Oh, okay, okay. I can't remember what it was, but basically, like, 
they wanted a lot. A, a lot of people were asked to make this film. Spielberg, you know, like all the big directors were asked and they mm-hmm. all turned it down because it seemed sort of impossible to deal with. And it was too much pressure. And so they ended up with De Palma because they like they, they knew he could do a film of that size. And he kind of was in a position where he couldn't say no to a project of this scale um, mm-hmm. and this prestigious. Um, and yeah, I mean, the story is fascinating behind it. But again, if you're even if you're just a, a fan of De Palma, um, watch it. It's it's totally fun. Um, we both really enjoyed ourselves. It's like it's it's a mess, but it's 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 it's, it's an enjoyable mess for sure. All right. Well, <laughs> I maybe will, and I maybe won't. Yeah, I think <laughs> the I only Tom Wolf book I've I've read from. Yeah, which one? Think, I'm, I'll probably like it. I mean, uh, I, I am Charlotte Simmons. That's the only one I've ever. I've I haven't ever read, read that. Before. I've only the only. I, so I read Bonfire, and I read then after that I read The Right Stuff, which is also really really good. And I've never seen that. Oh movie. yeah, so yeah. I might watch that movie too. Um, I'm sure it's annoying. So I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm. I'm gonna watch Titan, Titanic, Titanic two, Titan. Oh, oh Titan. That's what I'm is gonna that, watch. Yeah, is that how you say it? Did I say it wrong? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you should watch that. It's no, great. I don't know. Um, and I'm gonna. Yeah. I, I actually have to go soon because I gotta go to see Licorice Pizza. So who knows? Folks, oh yeah. Maybe by the time I put the podcast together in my intro little intro speech, I'll have said Licorice Pizza in my top five, or maybe I'll say sucked ass, but I doubt it. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's getting rave reviews. Yeah, well, I, I I hope so. I don't love the idea of casting actors' children, um, because it's Philip right. Seymour Hoffman's son. Uh, as because as uh, that's uh, right. Someone told me genius often skips a generation, often skips many. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll yep. see. Just watch the Sopranos movie. Oof, I can't do it. All right, Oof. I won't do it. It's really no, nor nor do you need to. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing the Matrix. Those movies can go fuck themselves. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, what? That movie was awesome. <laughs> I saw it. I I, I saw it, and I was like, "You dumb dumb, stop stop trying to stop losing the plot, you idiot." It's just, I was like, "If I can't follow this, then I don't deserve to come back to New York." I will tell you right now it's that so uh, stupid. I don't like the first Matrix, so you know. That's where that no. is for me. And that's it's not going to be better than that. So All right, Aaron. No. No. This was this was dumb. All right. Well, thank well, you we so love much you. for uh, Thank you for, for doing this. Your picks are we all fantastic. You. We're going to um have these thank up you. on the website um so people can find where to see them. Uh we're going to have all your picks listed and uh yeah, make sure to follow Aaron on Instagram. Uh it's Aaron up my heart. And uh yeah, it's great to have you, man. Thank you so much. We'll do it again. Thank you so much for having me. So you made it. The entire episode, an entire season of 24-hour video. Thank you for listening. I hope you got some good recommendations from this. Hopefully a couple things you haven't heard of before. Maybe a couple things that you meant to watch. And this reminds you that you got to go back and check it out. Um, and hopefully it's not a, just a big pile of junk that you don't care about. Hopefully you're not just sitting in the passenger seat of your boyfriend's car saying, who are these people? Why am I listening to this? This relationship's going nowhere. We don't share the same interests. (laughs) I hope that didn't happen. (laughs) And I want to say a big thank you to my guests, Sam, Noah, 
Jesse, Aaron, donating their time. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to all of them. They made this season, at least for me, very special. And got a new season coming up. A bunch of great interviews lined up. Um, very excited. And it, again, if you have any suggestions of guests, please hit me up at our Instagram, which is at 24 hour video, all letters, no numbers, 24 hour video. And uh, let me know what you think. And I almost forgot to add that since this recording, I did go see Licorice Pizza. And I also saw Bruno Dumont's new film, France. And both of those films would have probably ended up on my top list. Definitely at least honorable mentions. They're both great. Good new things to see. Highly recommend both. And if you haven't seen any Bruno Dumont, you're in for a massive treat. His entire film career is pretty astounding. Start from the beginning and lose your mind. As always, the music is composed and performed by Nicholas Milheiser with a vocal stab from Nancy Wong. And I want to thank them for making this music for the podcast. And I also want to thank a few other people that made the podcast possible this past year. Andrew Raposo and Emma Kadar-Penner. And of course, my other guests, James Murphy and Bruce LeBruce. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. It's been the only creative thing that's kept me afloat through this past year. Uh, so I'm looking forward to more. And, you know, love you guys. See you soon. Thanks for listening to 24-Hour Video.